0: And so I said to Mr. Gardner, sightseeing is all very well, and I do like to do a place thoroughly. But after all, we've done England pretty well, and all I want now is to get some quiet spot by the seaside and just relax. That's what I said, isn't it,
1: Odell?
2: Yes, darling. It is not often that I expose myself to the perils of the English summer holiday, the uncertainty of the weather, the discomfort of the hotels and the cuisine. Oh, ma foi, the cuisine.
0: The ever since a of
1: his
2: for once in my life, I had allowed myself to be tempted. The jolly Roger Hotel on Smugglers Island off the south coast of Devon was, I had been assured, the exception. A positive paragon among hotels.
0: What I like about this place is that it is so antique if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so private, isn't that so, Miss Brewster?
3: Quite right, Mrs. Gardner. No Charabangs, no day-trippers.
0: And being such a small place, we can all talk to one another and everybody knows everybody else. Mr. Kelso told us that the most interesting people came here and he was right. There's you, Monsieur Poirot. Oh, no, 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 And there's Miss Darnley. I just couldn't believe it. All my favorite dresses come from her salon. It's such a lovely woman, isn't she, Odell? Uh,
4: yes, darling.
0: And I did hear that Arlena Stewart arrived here late last night. We've seen every single one of her shows, haven't we, Odell? Yes, darling.
3: She's Mrs. Marshall now. Though why a woman like that ever bothers to marry is quite beyond me.
0: I was just tickled to death when I found out who you were, Monsieur
5: Poirot.
0: Wasn't I, Odell? Uh,
4: Yes, darling.
0: Although, I must confess, it did give me rather a turn meeting you. You see, I thought you might be here professionally.
3: My wife is so sensitive, Monsieur Poirot.
0: Well, I I just couldn't bear it if I was going to be mixed up in some kind of murder mystery. Ah, but
2: let me assure you, Madame Gardner, that I am simply here like you to enjoy myself. I do not even let the thought of crime enter my mind. (laughs) (laughs)
3: No bodies
2: on Smuggler's Island. Ah, but that is not true. Regard them there on the beach, lying out in rows. They are not men and women. There is nothing personal about them. They are just bodies. Some of them are rather good bodies.
0: What did you say, Odell?
2: Uh, Nothing, darling. It is deplorable.
0: Deplorable?
2: Mm, Bodies arranged on slabs, like butcher's meat.
0: But that's too far-fetched for words.
2: Oh, it may be, yes. (laughs)
0: Mind you, I agree with you on one point. Those girls lying out there in the sun are sure to grow hair on their legs and arms. I said to Irene, that's my daughter, if you go on lying out in the sun, you'll have hair all over you, on your arms and your legs and hair on your bosom if you don't watch out, didn't I, Odell?
3: Yes, darling.
0: Well, it's time for my morning, Livener. You coming along with us for a drink, Miss Brewster?
3: Not just now, thanks.
0: Come along then, O'Dow. Mm. A port and brandy would be just the thing for your tummy upset.
3: Yes, darling. Aren't American husbands wonderful? Mm-hmm.
0: Morning, Reverend.
3: Oh, Lord. Here comes the church militant. Splendid walk. All the way down to
4: Harford and back along the cliffs. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Mr Lane. Good
2: morning, Monsieur Lane.
3: Been for your row yet, Miss Brewster? Any minute now. Nothing like rowing for the stomach muscles. You should try it, Monsieur Poirot. Get some of that weight off. Thank you, mademoiselle. But I detest boats.
2: The movement of the sea, it is not pleasant. But the sea is as calm as a mill pond. No, 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 no. There is no such thing as a calm sea. Always,
3: always there is motion. Sea sickness is a really odd thing. It seems so unfair. Quite sickly people... ...are often good sailors. Someone told me it was something to do with the spine. There's nothing
2: whatever wrong with my spine.
3: Then there's some people can't stand heights. I'm not very good myself, but Mrs. Redfern is far worse. The other day, on the cliff path, she turned quite giddy. She had to hold on to me. She said she once got stuck halfway down that outside staircase on Milan Cathedral...
4: She'd better not go down that ladder to Pixie Cove, then. And that's a real test of the nerves.
3: Oh, she's coming up from her bathe now.
2: Ah, how delicately pale her skin is. So different from all the other cooked lobsters. Mm,
4: it's her coloring, of course.
3: Ash blonde. So very English.
6: Good morning, everyone.
3: You've morning. earned Monsieur Poirot's approval, Mrs. Redford. He doesn't like the sun tanning crowd there. Says they're like joints of butchers' meat.
6: <laughs> I only wish that I could sunbathe, but I simply blister and get the most frightful freckles all over my arms.
3: According to Mrs. Gardiner, if you lie out in the sun, you get hair all over your body. She's been in grand form this morning. I wish you'd played her up a bit, Mrs. Poirot. Why didn't you tell her that you were down here investigating a particularly gruesome murder... <laughs> And there was a homicidal maniac lurking about in the hotel grounds. I
2: very much fear she would not have believed
3: me.
6: Yes, this isn't the kind of place you'd find a body.
2: Oh, but why not, Madame Redfern? Why should there not be a murder on Smuggler's Island?
6: I don't know. I can't explain it. It just seems so unlikely in a place like this.
2: It is romantic on Smuggler's Island, yes. It is peaceful. The sea is blue. The sun shines. But you forget that there is evil everywhere under the sun. How very true.
6: Of course, I realized that, but all the same.
2: I think your husband's looking for you, Mrs. Redfern.
6: Is he? Where?
4: Over there. He's just come out of the water.
6: Patrick, here, I'm over here.
7: I'm coming. I'll just get my towel.
5: Good morning, everybody.
2: But who is this? Mm, what an entrance. It is
3: as if she is on the stage. Ah, That must be Arlena Stewart.
6: She's certainly very beautiful. I wish I could get away with a backless swimsuit like that.
3: You were talking about evil just now, Monsieur Barrow. Now, to my mind, that woman is the personification of evil. She's a bad lot,
4: through and through. Like the woman who rode upon the scarlet-coloured
2: beast.
5: Is the water warm, Mr. Redfern? And
2: Redfern turns towards her, like a needle deflected by a
1: magnet.
5: Help me to find somewhere quiet to sunbathe. What about what about over there by the rocks, far from the madding crowd? <laughs> oh,
6: excuse me, I'm going back to the hotel. I'm getting sunburnt sitting here.
3: It's too bad. She's such a nice little thing.
1: Apparently.
3: She gave up being a schoolteacher when they got married a couple of years ago.
4: The shameless effrontery of the woman. To steal a woman's husband away from her before her very
3: eyes. Patrick Redfern's a fool. Can't he see that Arlena Stewart's the the sort of woman who takes pleasure in smashing up homes? I'm going to go and get my boat. Uh, Uh, Good day, uh, Miss
2: Rooster.
4: That woman, Arlena Stewart, is evil incarnate. There's not a man on the beach who is not following her with his eyes. Except you, Monsieur Poirot. What are you looking at?
2: There is one other man who is not looking at her.
4: That is her husband, I believe. Captain Marshall.
2: Mm. Quietly reading the Times. Pretending not to notice what is going on. You spoke of evil, Monsieur Poirot. Can't you sense its presence? Oh, yes, Mr. Lane. I can certainly sense it. May I join you, Monsieur Poirot? Oh, of course, Mademoiselle Darlene. <laughs> I would be delighted. Uh, May I offer you something? Uh, a coffee, perhaps? A glass of...
8: No, no, thank you.
2: <laughs> Nothing at all.
8: Oh, you know, I don't think I like
2: this place. I'm beginning
8: to wonder why I came here.
2: You have been here before, have you not?
8: Yes, two years ago at Easter. There weren't so many people then.
2: Something has occurred to worry you. I've met a ghost. The ghost of what? Or of whom?
8: Oh, just the ghost of myself.
2: Uh, Was it a painful ghost?
8: Unexpectedly painful. You can't imagine my childhood. You're not English.
2: Was it such a typically
8: English childhood? Oh, incredibly so. A big shabby house in the country, horses, dogs, walks in the rain, wood fires, evening dresses that went on for year after year, a neglected garden, apples in the orchard.
2: And you wish to go back? No.
8: I know I can't go back, but I'd like to have gone a different way.
2: And yet there must be many people who envy you. Oh,
8: yes, I'm a highly successful businesswoman. And I have the satisfaction of being able to be a creative artist as well. I've got a good figure, passable face, and not too malicious tongue. Of course, I don't have a husband or children. I failed there, haven't I, Monsieur Poirot? Oh,
2: to marry and have children, that is the common lot of women. Only one woman in a thousand can make for herself a name and a position like yours.
8: What you're saying is I'm damn well off as I am, and I should be
2: content with that. So, Captain Marshall is an old friend of yours, mademoiselle. <laughs> now, how do you know that? I suppose he told you. No, nobody has told me anything. After all, I am a detective. I use the little grey cells. It was the obvious conclusion to draw. Well,
8: I don't see it.
2: Ah, but consider, mademoiselle, you have been here a week. You are lively, gay, without a care in the world. Today, suddenly, you speak of ghosts, of regrets. What has happened? For several days, there have been no new arrivals, until last night, when Captain Marshall and his wife and daughter arrived today... The change,
8: huh? It is obvious. I can't deny it. Ken is Marshall and I were children together. Well, he was a good bit older than I was. The Marshalls live next door to us. Ken was always nice to me. I've not seen anything of him for a long time.
2: He is sympathetic, yes? Oh, he's a dear.
8: I'd say his only fault is a penchant for making unfortunate marriages. He's an utter fool where women are concerned. You remember the Martindale case?
2: Martindale... Ah, yes. Arsenic, was it mm. not? The woman was tried for murdering her husband... but it was proved that he was an arsenic eater... and she was acquitted. Yeah, that's the one. Mm. Well, after
8: her acquittal, Ken married her. That's the sort of damn silly thing he does.
2: But if she was innocent...
8: But surely there are women to marry in the world... other than somebody who's been tried for murder. But he was young, of course... She died when Linda was born, a year after their marriage.
2: And then Arlena Stewart came along.
8: Yes, she was starring in a musical show at the time. And she was cited in the Codrington divorce case. Ah. Everyone expected Codrington would marry her when it was all over, but he dropped her like a hot brick. I believe she actually tried to sue him for breach of promise. The next thing is that Ken goes and marries her. A damn fool.
2: She is a very beautiful woman, mademoiselle.
8: Oh, yes, yeah, she's beautiful, all right. Then, about three years ago, there was another scandal. Old Sir Roger Erskine left her every penny he had. I should have thought that would have opened Ken's eyes if nothing else did.
2: And did he not?
8: He seems to have an absolutely blind belief in her. Well, you can see for yourself. Look how she's making up to Patrick Redfern. He's the kind of handsome idiot that's meat and drink to Arlena. I don't think that poor little washed-up wife of his will stand a chance against a man-eating tigress like Arlena.
2: And what about the young girl, the child of Marsha's first marriage?
8: Linda? With a stepmother like Arlena. God help the poor kid.
9: I never realized quite how much I hated her until we came here. It was all right at school, but now I can't escape from her. This place could be quite fun, but somehow she manages to come between me and everything else. And it's going to go on like this, day after day, month after month, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. But she's ruining my life, and she's making father look a fool. I hate her. I hate
10: her. You've met this Redfern fellow before, I gather. (laughs) Yes, darling, at a cocktail party somewhere or other. I thought he was rather a pet. Did you know that he and his wife were coming here?
0: Gracious, no.
10: It was a complete surprise. I thought perhaps that was what put the idea of this place into your mind. You were very insistent that we should come here.
8: Kenneth, darling, I'm trying to do my mascara. You're not going to be horrid, are you?
10: Look, Arlena, the boy is obviously quite fond of his wife and she obviously adores him. Do you have to upset the whole show? It's so
5: unfair blaming me. I haven't done anything. It's not
10: my fault if
5: people go crazy about me.
10: So you admit that young Redfern is crazy about you?
8: It's really rather stupid of him. But you know that I don't actually care
10: for anyone but you, don't you, darling? I think I know you pretty well, Arlena.
6: Did you know that woman was going to be here?
11: I don't understand what you mean.
6: You insisted on coming here. I wanted to go to Tintagel again, but you were absolutely set on this oh, place. You're
7: being ridiculous. Don't let's quarrel about it. I
0: don't want to quarrel. But
7: then behave like a reasonable human being.
8: I think this must be the most peaceful place on the island.
10: Remember the Downs at Shipley, when we were kids?
8: (laughs) Could I ever forget?
10: Pretty good, those days. You haven't changed much, Rosamond.
8: Oh, yes, I have.
10: Oh, you're rich and successful, but you're still the same Rosamond.
8: I wish I were. Why is it that we can't hold on to the nice natures and high ideals we had when we were young?
10: (laughs) I don't know that your nature was ever particularly nice. You used to get into the most frightful (laughs) rages. You half choked me the day you fell into that stream. (laughs) Kenneth,
8: if I say something really outrageous, will you ever speak to me again?
10: I wouldn't ever not want to speak to you.
8: Why didn't you get a divorce from your wife? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that.
10: You're perfectly entitled to say it, but you just don't understand.
8: Are you still frightfully fond of her?
10: No, it's not really a question of that. You see, I I married her.
8: She's pretty notorious.
10: Is she? (laughs) I suppose she is.
8: It's obvious you're pretty unhappy. You could fix it so she could divorce you.
10: I dare say I could.
8: People get divorced all the time.
10: And that's just what I hate.
8: What do you
1: mean?
10: I can't stand that kind of attitude to life. Taking the easy way out as quickly as possible. There's such a thing as good faith. If you marry a woman and commit yourself to looking after her, then it's up to you to do it. I don't hold with quick marriage and easy divorce. Arlena's my wife, and that's all there is to it.
8: Till death do us part?
12: Till death do us part. So, you're the famous sleuth, eh?
2: Yes, I am Hercule Poirot. Uh, Blatt, Horace Blatt. Very pleased to meet you. Down here on a job, eh? No, 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 no. Nothing of the kind. I am taking a holiday. <laughs> you'd say that anyway, wouldn't you? Not necessarily. we well, would be
12: safe enough with me, you know. Learned to keep my mouth shut years ago. Shouldn't mm-hmm. have gone on the way I have if I hadn't learned to do that. Mm-hmm. Same with you, I expect. You've got to keep it up that you're just here on a holiday. And why should you suppose the contrary? <laughs> I'm a man of the world, Mr Poirot. A chap like you would be at Deauville or the 2K
2: or Joanne Le Pen. That's more your spiritual home. Hmm. I should have expected that you too might have been more at home in Deauville or Biarritz. Instead of which,
12: we're both stuck in this dump in the pouring rain. Oh, God knows why I came here. I think it was because the place sounded romantic. The Jolly Roger on Smuggler's Island. Makes you think of when you were a boy. I brought the boat down here with me, too. Oh, you enjoy sailing, Mr Blatt? Can't get enough of it. Redfern's keen on it, too. I'd hoped he'd come out with me a bit, but he's a lost cause now, always hanging round that red-haired Mrs Marshall. I should think that her husband's got his hands full looking after her. Uh But here comes young Redfern. Better drop the subject. Mm -hmm. Evening, Patrick, my boy. Uh, What's it to be? Oh, Mm -hmm. thanks.
7: I'll have a martini.
12: Uh, One martini, please, Doris. And you, Mr Perrow? Uh, No, not for me, thank you. Uh, Suit yourself, my friend. Uh, And another glass of the usual for me, please, Doris.
1: Right,
7: sir. Oh, it's so good to be back on Smuggler's Island again. I used to come here on holiday from Ireland when I was a kid. I put it about in a dinghy. That was long before there was a hotel here, of course. And uh, what was it like in those days? There were just a few fishermen's cottages at Leathercombe, and an old tumble-down house here on the island, all shut up. There were stories about secret passages leading down from the house to Pixie's Cave. We were always searching for them.
12: Here's your martini, Patrick. Thanks. What's all this about a Pixie's Cave? Cheers. Mm. Mm.
7: It's on Pixie Cove. The entrance is hidden by a lot of piled-up boulders. The cave's like a long, thin crack. You can just squeeze through it. But uh, what is this peak sea? A kind of West Country fairy spirit. There are scores of tales about them in Devon and Cornwall. Huh. There are tours on Dartmoor, where they're supposed to live, and I expect the farmers coming home after a thick night still complain of being pixie-led.
12: <laughs> you mean when they've had one over the eight? Well, that's certainly the common-sense explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, time to get ready for dinner. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. On the whole, pirates are more my kind of thing than
1: pixies. <laughs>
2: hmm... For a heart-bitten businessman, Mr. Blatt seems to have a very romantic imagination. Do you know him well?
7: No, not really. I've been out sailing with him once or twice, but he doesn't really like having anyone with him. He prefers to be on his own.
2: Oh, that is indeed curious. It is singularly unlike his practice on land.
7: <laughs> it's always pretty difficult keeping out of his way.
2: <laughs> I think, Mr. Headfern. That you enjoy living.
7: Certainly I do. Why not?
2: Why not indeed? That is why, as a much older man, I venture to offer you a little piece of advice. And what is that? A very wise friend of mine in the police force said to me years ago, Hercule, my friend, if you would know tranquility, avoid women.
7: It's a bit too late for that. I'm a married man.
2: I know that. And your wife is a very charming, very accomplished woman. She is, I think, very fond of you. I'm very fond of her. I'm delighted to hear it.
7: Look here, Monsieur Poirot, what exactly are you getting her?
2: Les femmes, they are capable of complicating life unbearably. And the English, they conduct their affairs in a manner that is indescribable. If it was necessary for you to come here, Mr Redfern, why... In the name of heaven did you bring your wife? I haven't the faintest idea what you were talking You're about. You're not perfectly. I am not so foolish as to argue with an infatuated man. I utter only the word of caution.
7: You've been listening to those stupid women, Mrs Gardner and Miss Brewster. They've got nothing better to do with their lives than concoct spiteful stories. Just because a woman's good-looking, they're onto her like a pack of harpies.
2: Are you really so naive as all that, Mr Redfern? Once again, I say to you, take care. She is a very dangerous woman.
3: Taking a little stroll before turning in, Monsieur Poirot?
2: Yes, madame. All day long I have been cooped up in the hotel by the bad weather. Now it has passed, I need a little fresh air.
3: Christine Redfern is all by herself, on the seat on the cliff top. See if you can persuade the poor child to come in. It's not good for her. I will do what I can, Monserl Worcester. Bonsoir. Good night, Monsieur
2: Poirot. You should not be sitting out here on that damp seat, madame. You will catch the chill.
6: No, I shan't. And what does it matter, anyway?
2: Oh, come now, you are not a child. You are an educated woman. You must look at things sensibly.
6: I assure you that I never take cold.
2: It has been a miserable day. The rain came down, the mist was so thick that one could not see through it. And now, the sky is clear, and up above, the stars shine. It is like life, madame.
6: Spare me your platitudes, Monsieur Poirot. Do you know what most sickens me in all this business? What? Pity. Do you think I don't know what they're all saying? Poor Mrs. Redfern, that unfortunate little woman. Little? I'm five foot nine. They say little because they're sorry for me. And I can't bear it.
2: Although you take exception to what you call my platitude, madame... Allow me to tell you something. The Arlena Marshals of this world count for very little.
6: That's nonsense.
2: I assure you it is true. Their empire is of the moment, and for the moment. To count, really to count, a woman must have goodness and brains.
6: Do you think men care for goodness and brains?
2: Fortunately, yes.
6: I cannot agree with you.
2: Your husband loves you, madame. I know it.
6: How can you know
2: it? I have seen him looking at you, madame.
6: I can't bear it. I
1: can't bear it.
2: ah, ah. Patience, madame. It will all come right. Calm yourself.
1: I'm fine.
6: Leave me now.
2: It would be better if you returned to the hotel.
6: I just want to be alone for a little while longer. Don't worry. I shan't do anything stupid. And thank you, Monsieur Poirot. Good night.
5: If only we
8: had the whole island to ourselves. <laughs> the whole island?
7: I'd settle for a room with a strong lock on the door. <laughs>
5: got to find somewhere we can really be alone together for hours and hours.
2: It would seem that Mr. Redfern has not taken my advice. You really do love me, then?
6: I adore you.
8: Don't you know that by now?
2: <laughs> she is like an animal, that woman, and a very vicious one.
10: Remarkable night. Hey, Poirot? Looks as though we should have fine weather tomorrow.
2: Let us hope so, Captain Marshall. Good night. Good night. It is as I felt in Egypt, that fatal night on the Nile. I am certain that a murder is going to be committed, and I feel utterly powerless to prevent it. How can one stand in the way of the
1: inevitable?
2: For the first time in my life, I had decided to expose myself to the hazards of an English summer at the Jolly Roger Hotel on Smuggler's Island off the Devon coast. For a little while, All was perfect. Sunshine, and a cuisine that was almost edible. But then a shadow fell across my little holiday. The famous theatre star, Arlena Stewart, arrived, intent on pursuing her love affair with young Patrick Redfern, while his wife looked helplessly on. And Arlena's husband, the phlegmatic Captain Marshall, pretended not to notice. It had all the makings of a disaster. But of all those drawn into the affair, it was for the stepdaughter of our Stewart that I was most concerned. Even at the best of times, life can be very difficult for a girl of sixteen.
9: Oh, good morning, Mrs. Redfern.
6: My, you're up early. I've just been up to your room.
9: Where have you been? I went for a bathe.
6: Oh, I see. What's the parcel? I didn't know the post came this early.
9: No, it's... it's not the post. It's... Oh! No, it's all right. I'll pick them up. Candles? Have you been out buying candles? No. Well, not exactly. I... I wanted to know if you'd like to
6: come to Gull Cove this morning. I'm going to do some sketching there.
9: Oh, thank you, Mrs Redfern. I'd love to.
6: I've got a game of tennis at 12, so we'd better start fairly early. We'll half past ten be all right.
9: Oh, yes, of course. I'll meet you by the reception desk. Goodness, you're in a hurry. What's the rush? Sorry, Miss Darnley. I'm going with Mrs Redfern to Gull Cove. I thought I was late. What time are you meeting her? Half past ten. You've still got five minutes. Oh, good. Are you all right, Linda? You look a bit feverish. No, I'm fine.
8: It's such a lovely day. I actually got up for breakfast. I usually have it in bed, but today I came down and faced eggs and bacon like a man.
9: After all that rain yesterday, it's heavenly this morning. Gull Cove is so nice at this time of day. I shall put on lots of sun oil and get really brown.
8: Yes, it's so much more peaceful there.
9: Why don't you come too? Uh,
8: Not this morning. I've other fish to fry.
9: Good morning, Miss Darling.
8: Good morning.
6: I hear you're both off to Gull Cove. Yes, I want to do some sketches of the cliffs. Are you ready, Linda?
9: Yes, I think I've got everything.
6: Let's be off then.
9: Bye. Bye. Bye.
8: That woman has the most hopeless dress sense I've ever encountered. Floppy green beach pyjamas with long sleeves and baggy trousers like a circus clown. She looks like a wilting lettuce. if I dressed that girl, I'd soon make her husband sit up and take notice.
5: Monsieur Poirot? Monsieur Poirot.
2: Yes, madame.
5: There is something I can do. Oh, you couldn't give me a hand with this pedalo. I can't launch it by myself. Of course, madame. Just a bit further. Give it a good push. Thank you, monsieur Poirot. That's splendid. Oh, you've wet your shoes.
2: Yes, I have.
5: I'm so sorry. Could you do something for me?
2: And what is that, madame?
5: Don't tell anyone I've gone. Everyone will follow me about so. For once, I just want to be alone. Of
2: course, madame. Your secret is safe with me. Thank you.
1: Bye.
2: Oh, a man. I doubt if our mainest Stuart has ever wanted to be alone in her life. She has a rendezvous to keep. And I have a very good idea with whom.
10: Morning, Monsieur Poirot. Good morning, Captain Marshall. Have you seen my wife anywhere about? Oh, has Madame Risen so early then? Well, uh, She's not in her room. Ah, oh, lovely day, isn't it? I shall have a bathe straight away. Got a whole load of letters to type this morning.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And here comes Patrick Redfern. So I was mistaken about our rendezvous with his femme fatale. Has she perhaps given him the slip? Good morning, Mr. Redfern. Oh, good morning. Everyone seems to be up early today.
7: Yes, yes, must be the weather. Christine was up ages ago. Went off sketching somewhere. Mm-hmm.
2: I went and found a suitable deck chair for myself in the shade. Mrs. Gardner came down and sat in her usual place.
1: Oh.
0: I guess Odell won't be down for a while. I told him that lobster would disagree with him, but would he listen?
2: Miss Brewster arrived and sat down next to her. And still Patrick Redfern paced miserably up and down by the side of the sea.
3: Have you been paddling with your shoes on, Monsieur Poirot? Oh, alas, mademoiselle, I was uh, precipitate. <laughs> Not like you. Ah. Uh, and where's our vamp this morning? She's late for her big entrance.
0: Hmm. And what's wrong with Mr. Redfern? He reminds me of a caged tiger pacing up and down waiting for his food.
3: Perhaps his lady friend has found other fish to fry.
0: I do think it's all such a pity. My heart bleeds for that poor Captain Marshall. He's such a nice man, so very British and unassuming. You never know what he's thinking about things.
3: Oh, the wind's from the west again. It's always a good sign when you can hear the Leathercombe church clock. Miss Brewster, I was wondering if you were going for your usual row this morning. Oh, I certainly am. I had to spend all day yesterday cooped up in my hotel room looking at the rain. Would you mind if I came with you? I'd be delighted. We could row round the island. Shall we have time? Oh, yes. Ages to go before lunch. I'll just take these things back to my room, and we'll set off. It
2: would have been pleasant to remain where I was, sitting in the sun, but I knew that Mrs Gardner was longing to talk to me about the secret of the Great Pyramid and the mystic science of numbers. Somehow I did not feel quite in the mood for this, and so I went for a little stroll, wondering where Alena Marshall had gone off to so mysteriously on her pedalow, and why she had chosen to keep her rendezvous a secret from Patrick Redfern.
7: We shall probably have a fair crop of blisters by the time we get back.
3: You're certainly setting quite a pace.
7: Isn't that a marvellous day? When the sun really shines in England, there's
3: nothing to beat it. Can't beat England anyway, in my opinion. The Only place in the world to live in.
7: I'm with you there, Miss Brewster.
3: Anyone on Sunny Ledge this morning? Yes, I can see a sunshade. Oh, any idea who it is? Yes, it's it's Miss Donley, I think. She's got one of those Japanese parasol affairs... We ought to have gone the other way round. We've got the current against us.
7: It's not much of a current, really. I've swum out here and scarcely
3: noticed it. Depends on the tide, of course. But they always say that bathing from Pixie Cove is dangerous if you swim too far out.
7: I've never had much trouble. We're coming round to Pixie Cove now.
3: can't take his eyes off the cliffs. He's looking for Alena. That's why he wanted to come with me. She hasn't shown up this morning and he's wondering what she's up to. I wouldn't be surprised if she's done it on purpose. Just a move in the game to make him keener.
7: There's someone on the beach. I can't quite make out who it
3: is. It looks like Arlena. That green Chinese hat of hers is unmistakable.
7: I think you may be right.
3: We don't want to land here, do we?
7: Oh, we could just stop for a moment to have a word with her. There's lots
3: of time. Well, if you really must. Poor boy. He's got it really badly. I suppose he'll get over it in time. Arlena! That's funny. She's lying face down on the sand, as if she were sunbathing. But there's no sun. She's in the shadow of the cliff. Marlena? Marlena?
1: Oh
7: my
11: God.
3: What is it? What's happened?
11: She's dead. It it looks as if she's been strangled.
3: I don't want to see. We shouldn't touch anything. We'd better get the police. But it just isn't possible. Who would want to kill her? We must go for the police. I suppose one of us ought to stay with the... with the body. You do that and I'll go.
5: Oh, please be as quick as you can.
3: Yes, I will. But I'll have to go in the boat. I can't face that rickety ladder up the cliff. There's a police station in Levercombe. I'll get them here as soon as I can. Strangled... And
11: by a pretty powerful pair of hands, I'd say. It doesn't look as if she'd put up much of a struggle. She must have been taken by surprise. What time did you find her? Sometime before twelve. I don't know exactly.
3: It was exactly a quarter to twelve, mm-hmm. Inspector. I looked at my watch. The police surgeon should be
11: here in a while. But my guess would be that she wasn't killed much before that. Half past eleven at the earliest, I'd say. And you both positively identify this woman
3: as Arlena Marshall? Yes. She was also known by her stage name, Arlena Stewart. Ah. I'll get a couple of my men to cordon off the cove.
11: We'd better adjourn to the hotel, I think. I left a message for the chief constable. He should be there by now.
2: Poirot, you've been a bit quick off the Mark, haven't you? What are you doing here? Mon colonel? (laughs) Ha
1: ha!
2: I am here simply for the vacances. Ah, it is good to see you again after so many years. That curious affair at saint Loup. i am never likely to forget it. The way you got round me over
13: that funeral business. (laughs) Absolutely unorthodox, the whole thing. But with me, it
2: produced the goods, did it not?
13: And here you are, smack in the middle of another murder. (sighs) Any idea what it's all about?
2: No, nothing very definite, but it is a most interesting case. Going to give us a hand? If you would permit it, Colonel Weston. My dear fellow, delighted to have you with me.
13: (laughs) Don't know enough yet uh, to decide whether it's a case for Scotland Yard. Offhand, it looks as though our murderer could be pretty well within a limited radius. Private hotel, an island linked to the mainland only by a causeway. On the other hand, all these people are strangers down here. The answer to the mystery may well lie in London.
2: Yes, that is true.
13: First of all, we need to find out who's the last person
2: to see the dead woman alive.
13: Chambermaid took her breakfast in about nine. Girl at the desk saw her pass through the lounge and go out about ten.
2: <laughs> My friend, I suspect I am the man you want. You saw her this morning. What time? At five minutes past ten. I helped her to launch a padlo from the bedding Beach. Did she go off alone? Yes. In which direction did she take? She paddled round the point over there to the right. In the direction of Pixico? Yes. And how long would you reckon it would take her to pedal round to the cove? Ah hmm, I am not an expert. I do not expose myself on pedal laws. Half an hour, perhaps? Well, that's about right, I should think.
13: And I don't imagine she'd be hurrying. So if she arrived there at quarter to eleven,
2: that fits in well enough. Hmm, but there is one point I should mention. As she left, Mrs. Marshall asked me not to say I had seen her. Well that's rather suggestive, isn't it? Hmm. That's what I thought. Look here, Poirot.
13: You're a man of the world. What sort of woman was Mrs Marshall? Well, have you not already heard? Well, I've been told what the women say of her. How much truth is there in it? Was she having an affair with this chap, Redford? I should say undoubtedly yes.
2: And he followed her down
13: here? There is reason to suppose so. What about the husband?
2: Did he know about it?
13: How did he feel?
2: Ah, It is not easy to know what Captain Marshall feels or thinks... He is a man who does not display his emotions. But he might have them all the same. Oh, yes, Colonel. He might have them. Then we better have a word with him.
13: Well, Colonel,
10: what can I do for you? Please come and sit down.
13: You know Monsieur Poirot, I understand. Of course. Mm-hmm. Captain Marshall, I do realize what a terrible shock this must be to you. But I'm sure you appreciate the importance of getting the fullest information as soon as possible. I take your point. Carry on. Uh, Mrs. Marshall was your second wife? Yes. And you had been married how long? Four years. And her acting name was uh, Arlena Stewart? Yes.
10: She appeared in reviews and musical shows.
13: Did she give up the stage when she married you?
10: Oh, no. She carried on until about a year and a half ago. Was there any special
2: reason for her retirement? No, she simply said she was tired of it all. And you were quite content for her to continue her career after your marriage? I should have preferred
10: her to give it all up. But uh, I didn't make a fuss about it. She was free to please herself.
13: And your marriage was a happy one? Certainly. Captain Marshall, have you any idea who might have killed your wife? None whatever. Had she any enemies? Probably.
10: Don't misunderstand me, Colonel. My wife was an actress. She was also a very good-looking woman. In both capacities, she aroused a certain amount of jealousy and envy. There were rows about parts. There was rivalry with other women. There was malice and hatred, but that is not to say that anyone actually wanted
2: to kill her. All of which implies that her enemies were mostly or entirely women. That is so.
13: You know of no man who had a grudge against her? No. And was she previously acquainted with anyone at the hotel?
10: I believe that she had met Mr. Redfern before at some cocktail party, she said. Nobody else, to my knowledge.
13: Let us move on to the events of this morning. When was the last time you saw your wife? I looked in on my way down to breakfast. You occupied separate rooms? Yes. And what time was this?
2: About nine o'clock. What was she doing? She was opening her letters. Was her manner unusual at all? No, perfectly normal. Did she mention the content of the letters?
10: As far as I can remember, she said they were all bills. Your wife breakfasted in bed? Invariably. What
2: time did she usually come downstairs? Usually around 11, I should say. But this morning she descended at 10 o'clock exactly. Now, why do you think that was? I haven't the least idea. Might
10: have been the fine weather. You didn't, here.: I looked in again after breakfast. The room was empty. I was a bit surprised.
2: And then you came down to the beach and asked me if I had seen her. Yes. And you said you hadn't. Had you any special reason for wanting to find her? Just
13: wondered where she was, that's all. Just now you mentioned that your wife had met Mr. Redfern before. How well did she know him? He was just a casual acquaintance. I understand that acquaintance ripened into something rather closer. Who told you that? It's the common gossip of the hotel. If you're going to rely on hotel gossip... I gather that Mr. Redfern and your wife were constantly in each other's company. Is that all? You did not object to your wife's friendship with Mr. Redfern? I wasn't in the habit of criticising my wife's conduct... Not even though it was becoming a subject of scandal, and an estrangement was developing between Redfern and his wife? I mind my own business, and I expect other people to do the same. But you wouldn't deny
10: that Redfern admired your wife? Well, He probably did. Most men did.
13: And suppose we have a witness who can testify that they were on terms of the greatest intimacy? I can't prevent you listening to these tales.
10: And my wife is dead. She can't defend herself. Meaning that you don't believe them? What does it matter? What I believe or not is surely not relevant to the plain fact of murder. But you
2: do not comprehend, Captain. There is no such thing as a plain fact of murder. Murder springs nine times out of ten out of the character and circumstance of the murdered person. Because the person was the kind of person he or she was, therefore was he or she murdered. Until we can understand exactly what kind of person Alena Marshall was, we shall not be able to see clearly the kind of person who murdered her.
10: (laughs) That's your view too, Colonel? Well, uh, up to (laughs) a point. Thought you wouldn't be going along with that. The character stuff is Pyro's speciality, I believe.
1: Hmm.
10: Well,
2: you can at least congratulate yourself on having done nothing to assist me. What do you mean by that? What have you told us about your wife, huh? Nothing at all. All you have said is what everyone could see for themselves, that she was beautiful and admired. Have you anything else to ask me, Colonel? Yes, Captain.
10: Your own movements this morning, please. Well, I've told you what happened up to the time of my meeting Monsieur Poirot. After that, I had a quick bathe and went back to the hotel. It was then about 20 to 11. I noticed the clock in the lounge. I went up to my room, but the chambermaid hadn't quite finished it. I told her to be as quick as possible because I had letters to type, which I wanted to get off by the two o'clock post. And what did you do in the meantime? I went downstairs to the cocktail bar and had a word or two with a chap on duty. George, I think his name is. I went back to my room at ten minutes to eleven and typed my letters until ten minutes to twelve. Then I changed into my tennis things and went up to the courts at twelve. We'd booked a game the day before. Who was we? Uh, Mrs. Redfern, Miss Darnley, Mr. Gardner, and myself. Miss Darnley and Gardner were already there. Mrs. Redfern arrived a few minutes later. We played tennis for about an hour. It was when I got back to the hotel afterwards that I was told about Arlena. Uh,
13: Thank you, Captain. Just as a matter of form, is there anyone who can corroborate that you were typing in your room between ten minutes to eleven and ten minutes to twelve?
10: Are you suggesting that I killed my own wife? The chambermaid who was doing the rooms would have heard the typewriter going. And then there are the letters themselves. With all the upset, I forgot to post them. The contents are strictly confidential. They concern financial matters. As you can see, they are not the kind of thing that anyone could type
13: out in much under an hour. Does that satisfy you? No one is accusing you of anything, Captain. Everyone on the island will be asked to account for their movements at that time. Quite so. Did your wife make a will? I'm fairly sure she didn't.
10: She always said that things like that gave her the horrors.
13: If she died intestate, you would, of course, succeed to the property.
10: Yes, I suppose I would. Although
2: perhaps she had uh,
10: very little of her own to leave. Huh? On the contrary. Three years ago, an old friend of hers, Sir Roger Erskine, left her most of his fortune. It amounted to around £50,000.
2: So, as it happens, your wife was quite a rich woman.
10: I suppose
13: you could say that. Anything further? I don't think so. Uh, you follow? I have nothing. Let me offer you all my sympathy in your loss, Captain. Thank you. Quite a cool customer.
2: And not giving much away. What can one say? He is the closed box, the fastened oyster. He has chosen his role. He has heard nothing, he has seen nothing... He knows nothing. And yet you're quite certain he did know. Last night I had been talking with Mrs. Redfern on the cliff top near the place they call Sunny Ledge. I came down from there to the hotel, and on my way I saw them together Patrick Redfern and Arlena Marshall. And a moment or two later, I met Captain Marshall. It was impossible he had not seen them. But his face was impassive. Too impassive if you understand me. Oh, he knew. Oh, yes, he knew. He is, of course, the obvious suspect. I interest myself in him greatly. And in his alibi. Alibi by typewriter.
13: (laughs) I'll get Colgate to look into it. We'd better go and have a word with him. I'd like to have his views on the whole business. And I could do with a
11: breath of fresh air. It boils down to this. Was it an outsider or a guest at the hotel? I'm not eliminating the servants entirely, mind, but I don't suspect for a minute that any of them had a hand in it. The one fact that stares you in the face is that the only person to gain by her death was her husband. If ever there was a crime passionel, this is it.
2: Oh, there are so many passions. Uh, yes,
11: I see what you mean. I bet she made some pretty bad enemies.
2: But no one capable of murdering her, according to her husband. And as I said just now, all Elena Marshall's enemies would be women. And it seems hardly possible that this crime could be committed by a woman. What did the medico have to say about that? He's pretty confident she was strangled by a man.
11: Big hands, powerful grip. Well, It's just possible that an unusually
2: athletic woman could have done it. But it's pretty unlikely. And immediately it becomes more difficult. Because of all the people in this hotel who have a motive for getting rid of Alena Marshall, the most likely is a woman. Red Fern's wife, I suppose? Yes. She had, let's say, ample cause for killing Alena Marshall. And I think it would be possible for her to commit a murder. But not that kind of murder. Arsenic, perhaps, but not strangulation. Let me put forward a suggestion. Say that prior to meeting, Mr. Redfern,
11: the lady had had an affair with someone else. She turns him down, and he is mad with jealousy. He follows her here, stays somewhere on the mainland, comes over to
2: the island, and does her in. Ah, It's a possibility. It leaves too much to chance. And besides, I cannot imagine this man. This man was so mad with jealousy. People did go potty about her, sir. Look at Redfern. Even so... And there is something that troubles me. What is that, Paolo? When Mrs. Marshall went off this morning and asked me not to tell anyone I had seen her, I was certain that she was going off to meet Patrick Redfern somewhere on the island. But I was wrong. Because a little while later, Redfern himself came along, obviously looking for Mrs. Marshall. And therefore, I am asking myself, who was it that she went off to meet? Ah, that fits in with my idea. A man from London or somewhere. But if she had broken off with this man, why did she go to so much trouble to meet him in secret? So who do you think it was? Ah, it is just what I cannot imagine. All the men staying on this island, Mr Gardner or Mr Blatt or the clergyman Stephen Lane, are middle-aged and rather dull. Elena Marshall would hardly prefer any of them to Patrick Wright. And yet all the same, she did go to meet someone. And that someone was not Patrick Redfern. You don't think she just went off by herself? Ah, mon cher, it is very evident you didn't know a dead woman. She could not exist in solitude. She lived only in the light of men's admiration. Ah, no, 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 no. Adelaine Marshall went off this morning to meet someone. And that someone almost certainly killed her. But why? And who is this killer who is still with us on this island. I had gone down to the Jolly Roger Hotel on Smuggler's Island in search of good food, peace and quiet, and gentle English sunshine. And I had found violent death. Arlene Marshall a femme fatale, if ever there was one, had been brutally strangled on a deserted beach. There were two people who had very good reason to wish Alena Marshall dead. Christine Redfern, whose husband Patrick had been pursuing a passionate love affair with her, and Captain Marshall, Alena's husband, who had seemed to turn a blind eye to what was going on. But were there other... Less obvious motives for the murder? That was what, only a few hours after the body had been discovered, my old friend Colonel Weston, assisted by Inspector Colgate and, uh, of course, myself, had to investigate.
13: We've got to get it down in black and white, where everyone was at the time of the murder.
11: Tedious, time-consuming business. It's got to be done. Fortunately, nine of the guests went off on an excursion first thing this morning and won't be back till six. And the Cohens and the Mastermans, uh, they come here every year with their children, all went off to the mainland for a picnic. I think that leaves them out of it, too. Uh, Mr Blatt has gone off sailing and isn't back yet. And the Reverend Lane is off on one of his long country walks. That narrows the field a little. Perhaps we want to get Marshall's daughter in. Ah.
13: Not fair to keep the girl hanging around.
11: I'll go and find her, Colonel.
2: Thank you. She's the child of Marshall's first marriage, I take it. Her mother was Sophia Martindale. A arsenic poisoner. She was acquitted. Even so. What a background for the poor child. Mm. How old is she? Sixteen. And rather young for her age.
9: I didn't see Arlena at all this morning. She has breakfast in bed and always gets down late. I can't bear to lie in, not when I'm on holiday.
13: Will you tell us what you did this morning?
9: I went to have a swim, first thing. Then I met Mrs. Redfern, and she asked me to go with her to Gull Cove.
13: What time did you and Mrs.
9: Redfern set out? She said she'd be waiting for me in the lounge at half-past ten. I thought I was going to be late, but I wasn't. We left just before half-past.
2: And what did you do when you got to Gull Cove?
9: I lay in the sun for a while, and Mrs. Redfern did some sketching in the shade. She doesn't like sunbathing. Then, later, she went back to the hotel to get changed for her tennis match, and I went for a swim.
13: Do you remember what time that was?
9: When Mrs. Redfern went back to the hotel.
13: Mm Mm-hmm.
9: A quarter to twelve.
13: You are sure of that?
9: Oh, yes. I looked at my watch.
13: The watch you have on now? Yes. Mind if I see?
9: Ah,
13: Correct to a second. And after that, you had a bathe? Yes. And when did you get back to the hotel?
9: About one o'clock. And then I heard about Arlena.
13: Did you uh, get on all right with your stepmother? Oh, yes. Did you like her, mademoiselle?
9: Oh, yes. I I was very fond of her. She was very kind to me.
2: Not the wicked stepmother, eh?
9: Oh, no, not at all.
2: You did not feel resentful when your father married again. You were not uh, jealous in any way.
9: Not in the least. Now, I
13: want you to think very carefully. Have you any idea who might have killed your stepmother? Is there anything you've heard or anything you know that could help us in that respect?
9: No. I don't know who would have wanted to kill Arlena. Except, of course, Mrs. Redfern.
2: And why do you think that Mrs. Redfern would want to kill her?
9: Because her husband was in love with Arlena. But I don't think she'd actually want to do it herself. She'd just wish that she was dead. And that isn't the same thing at all, is it?
2: No, it is not at all the same.
9: And anyway, Mrs Redfern could never do a thing like that. She isn't a violent person, if you know what I mean. I
2: know exactly what you mean. She's not one of those who sees red... She would not be shaken by a storm of feeling, seeing life narrowing in front of her, seeing a hated face, a hated white neck, feeling her hands clench, longing to feel them press into the flesh.
9: Can I go now? Is that all?
2: Uh, Yes, that's all, Linda. Uh,
13: Thank you for helping us. You know, I felt a bit of a cad questioning her about what went on between her father and stepmother. All the same, it had to be done. Murder is murder. She's the person most likely to know the truth of things about them. I'm rather thankful she had nothing to tell us on that score. Yes, I thought you were. Don't you think you went a bit too far with all that hands sinking into the flesh business? Not quite the sort of idea to put into a child's head.
2: So... You thought I was putting ideas into her head. Well, weren't you? Anyway, all we really
13: got out of her was an alibi for the Redfern woman. Exit the jealous wife as top suspect.
2: There are better reasons than that for leaving Mrs. Redfern out of it. Apart from anything else, her hands are too small and delicate.
13: I suppose the Redferns ought to be our next priority. Which of them should we start with? With the
2: husband, I think. Mm -hmm before he has had too much time to recover from the shock. I met her at a cocktail party about three months ago. Captain Marshall
13: has implied that until you both met down here, you did not know each other well. Is that so, Mr Redfern?
7: Well, not exactly. As a matter of fact, I saw a fair amount of her one way or another.
13: Without Captain Marshall's knowledge?
7: I don't know whether he knew about it or
2: not. And was it also without your wife's knowledge, Mr Redfern? I believe that I mentioned to my wife I had met the famous Arlena Stewart. But she did not know how
7: frequently you were seeing her. Probably not.
13: Did you and Mrs Marshall arrange to meet down here?
7: I don't think there's much point in my trying to conceal anything from you. Arlena wanted me to come down here. I didn't really think it was a good idea with my wife and Marshall being here. But I suspect it was an added excitement as far as she was concerned. In the end... Well, I would have agreed to do any mortal thing she asked me to. She had that kind of effect on people. The eternal Cersei. She certainly could turn men into swine. I was completely infatuated with her. Whether she cared for me or not, I simply don't know. She pretended to, but I think she was one of those women who lose interest in a man once they've got him body and soul. She knew she'd got me all right. When I saw her lying there... Dead on the beach this morning. It was like being hit by a bolt of lightning. And now? How much of this has got to be made public? It's not as though it could have any bearing on her death. And if it all comes out, it's going to be pretty rough on my wife.
1: And
13: that concerns you, does it?
7: I realise you must think I haven't given her much thought up to now, but the real truth is that I care for my wife very deeply. Arlene was a kind of madness, the sort of damn fool thing that men do. But Christine is different. She's real. Badly though I've treated her, I've known all along that she
2: was the person who really counted. I wish I could make you believe that. But I do believe it, Monsieur Redfern. Oh, yes. I believe it. Thank you, Monsieur Poirot. If your infatuation
13: for Mrs Marshall played no part in the murder, then there will be no point in dragging it into the open. But what you don't seem to realize is that you're a... Intimacy with Mrs. Marshall may have a very direct bearing on the murder. It might establish a motive for the crime. I don't follow you. Supposing that Captain Marshall had found out about your affair with his wife.
7: You mean he might
13: have killed
2: her? It had not occurred to you? Never. Marshall's such a quiet kind of chap. It doesn't seem likely. What was the attitude of Arlena Marshall toward this? Was she frightened that her husband might find out, or did she not care?
7: There were times when she seemed a bit nervous about it all. Did she seem afraid of him?
2: No, I wouldn't say that. And was there at any time a question
7: of divorce? Oh, no. I would never have done that to Christine, and I'm sure Arlena never thought of such a thing. She was perfectly satisfied with the husband she'd got. I was just one of a succession of poor mutts. Just something to pass the time with. I knew that all along, but it didn't alter my feelings towards her.
13: Now, Mr Redfern, did you have a particular appointment with Mrs Marshall this morning? No, not a
7: particular appointment exactly. We usually met every morning on the beach. We'd swim or
2: paddle about on floats. Were you surprised not to find her there? Yes, I was. I I couldn't understand it at all. If she were keeping an appointment somewhere else, do you have any idea with whom that might be? No idea. And when you had a rendezvous with Mrs Marshall, where did you go?
7: Sometimes in the afternoon we'd meet at Galco. The sun is off there at that time, so you don't usually get many people there.
13: Did you ever meet at the other place, uh, Pixie Cove?
7: No, you see, Pixico faces west, and people go around there in boats or on floats in the afternoon.
2: And your uh, <coughs> private uh, rendezvous, they were always in the afternoon? Yes. Mm-hmm.
7: That's the time when most people go and have a sleep or mooch about and nobody knows much where anyone is. After dinner, of course, we used to go off on a stroll together. Ah,
2: yes.
13: Then you can give us no help whatsoever as to why Mrs Marshall should have gone off to Pixie Cove this morning. I haven't the faintest idea. It wasn't like Arlena at all. Can you think of anyone in her London circle who might have had a grudge against her? Someone you may have supplanted in her affection, perhaps? I honestly can't think of anyone. So, we seem to be left with three possibilities. An unknown killer, some maniac who just happened to be in the vicinity. And
2: that's a pretty tall order. But isn't it the most likely explanation? Cove is practically inaccessible. You can only get at it by boat or by walking over the causeway, crossing the island by the hotel and climbing down a rickety ladder. Neither way suggests a killing on the spur of the moment. You said there were three possibilities. There were two people on the island
13: who had a very good reason for killing her. Her husband for one, and your wife for another. My wife? (laughs) Oh, but that's ridiculous.
7: She's not that kind of person. There's no violence in her. Anyway, Erlena was much stronger than Christine. I doubt whether she could strangle a kitten, let alone a woman like (laughs) Erlena... Oh, Christine could never have got down that ladder. She's no head for heights at all, no.
13: No, no. (laughs) She couldn't have done it. Didn't think it necessary to tell the fellow his wife had got an alibi. Shook him up a bit, didn't
2: it? The arguments he advanced were as strong as any alibi. Oh, she couldn't have done it. Marshall could, but he too has an alibi. The fact that he was typing letters? Oh, Oh, not very reliable... And the letters themselves? He could perfectly well have prepared them beforehand. The man is not a fool. Well, I'll get Colgate to look into it.
6: Patrick said you wanted to have a word with me.
13: Oh, yes, Mrs. Redford. Come in. Uh, Sit down, please. Thank you. You know Monsieur Poirot, of course. Mm -hmm. We're asking everyone to account for their movements this morning. Pure routine, you understand? Where do you want me to begin?
2: As early as possible, madame. What uh, did you do when you got up this morning?
6: On my way to breakfast, I went into Linda Marshall's room. She wasn't there, but I met her in the corridor. I asked her if she'd like to come with me to Gull Cove.
2: At what time was this?
6: About half past eight.
2: And where had Miss Marshall been?
6: She said she had been swimming.
13: Then what time did you set out for Gull Cove? I think it was just on half past ten.
2: And what did you do at Gull Cove?
6: I did a few sketches and Linda sunbathed.
13: And what time did you leave the cove?
6: At a quarter to twelve. I had a tennis match and had to change.
13: You had your watch with you?
6: No. I had to ask Linda what the time was. I see. And then I packed up my sketching things and went back to the hotel.
2: And mademoiselle Linda?
6: Linda went and had a swim.
2: Now, did Linda Marshall actually enter the water before you left the beach?
6: Yes. Yes. She ran down to the sea as I was fastening my box. She was splashing about in the waves as I was on the path up the cliff.
2: You are quite sure of that, madame, that she really entered the sea? Oh, yes. Go on, Mrs Redford.
6: I went back to the hotel, changed and went to the tennis court, where I met the others. We played for about an hour and were just going back into the hotel... When we heard about Mrs Marshall.
2: And what did you think, madame, when you heard the news?
6: What did I think? Yes. It was a horrible thing to happen.
2: Ah, yes. Your fastidiousness was revolted. I understand that. But what did it mean to you personally? Were you really surprised by the manner of her death?
6: I think I see what you mean. No, I was not surprised. Shocked, yes. But she was the kind of woman...
2: She was the kind of woman to whom such a thing might happen. Hmm? Yes, madame. That is the truest and most significant thing that has been said in this room. Now, leaving all personal feeling aside, what did you really think of Mrs. Marshall?
6: Is it really worthwhile going into all this now?
2: I think it might be, yes.
6: She's the kind of woman that's absolutely worthless as far as I'm concerned. She had no mind. She thought of nothing but men and clothes. She was a useless parasite. She was the sort of woman who could be mixed up in everything sordid. Blackmail, jealousy, violence. Every kind of crude emotion. She appealed to the worst in people. Mrs. Redfern,
13: why did you mention blackmail? Because she was being blackmailed. And how can you be certain of that? I happened to overhear something.
6: You remember, Monsieur Poirot, that night we were playing bridge. My husband and I, you and Miss Darnley. I was dummy. It was very stuffy in the card room, and I went down to the beach for a breath of fresh air. Suddenly I heard voices. Mrs Marshall was saying something like, It's no good. I can't get any more money now. My husband will suspect something. And a man's voice said, I'm not taking any excuses, Mrs Marshall.
13: Do you know who the man was?
6: He was keeping his voice very low. It could have been anybody.
2: Now we're getting somewhere. But I am not certain where. It is not a wicked blackmailer who lies dead. It is the victim. And blackmailers are not in the habit of killing off their victims.
13: I can't deny that. But it does suggest a reason for Mrs. Marshall's
2: going off to Pixie Cove by herself.
13: She was meeting the fellow who was blackmailing her.
2: Pixie Cove would certainly be the ideal place for such a rendezvous. It is difficult of access... And it is deserted in the morning. And it has another advantage. I heard about it the other day. There is a cave there. A place where someone could wait unseen. Well, we'd better take a look inside it.
13: We might find a pointer of some kind. You know, Poirot, this blackmail business does rather put a different complexion on things. None of the men staying here fitted the bill as a possible lover for Arlena Marshall. But a is a very different kettle of fish. I'd like to have a word with Mr. Black when he comes back from his morning sailing.
2: Yes. A boat. That is very suggestive.
13: We'd better get back inside. It's time to ask Miss Brewster if she knows
2: anything. And... After you and Mr. Redfern had found Mrs. Marshall's body, you rode
3: back alone rather than taking the quicker route over land, huh? No power on earth would make me climb the ladder up that cliff. I can face many things, but I have no head for heights. And there's nothing else you know of that uh, could help help us in any way? Well... There was one funny thing that happened earlier. Uh, What was that, Miss Bolster? Somebody nearly brained me with a bottle while I was having my morning bath before breakfast. Chucked it out of one of the hotel windows. Very distressing for you, but I don't think it tells us much. Sorry I couldn't be more help, but I don't imagine you'll have much trouble finding out who did it. Uh, What makes you think that? Well, with a woman like that... You've only got to hunt around in her unsavoury past. Someone who had a grudge against her and came over from the mainland without anyone seeing him? Oh, should anyone see him? Mrs. Redfern and the Marshal Child were over at Gull Cove. The rest of us were on the beach. Who on earth was there to see him except Miss dunley And where was Miss Darnley? She was sitting in the cutting at the top of the cliff, sunny ledge. Mr. Redfern and I saw her when we were rowing round the island. I see. Well, we'd better find out if she noticed anyone. Not a soul, Colonel.
8: And I would certainly have noticed if anyone had come along the path. What about by sea? Did you
13: notice anyone on a float or a boat during the morning?
8: No, I didn't. I was reading, you see. Of course, I looked out from my book from time to time, but as it happened, the sea was quite deserted every time I did so.
13: You didn't even notice Mr. Redfern and Miss Brewster when they went round? No. You were, I think, acquainted with Captain Marshall. Ken was an
8: old family friend. We grew up together. I hadn't seen him for a good many years.
13: And Mrs. Marshall?
8: I'd never exchanged half a dozen words with her before I met her here.
13: Would you say that Captain Marshall was devoted to his wife?
8: He may have been. I can't really tell you. He's rather old-fashioned. He doesn't have the modern habit of shouting his matrimonial woes from the rooftops.
13: Did you like Mrs. Marshall?
8: No. Why was that? Surely by now you've discovered that Arlena Marshall wasn't exactly popular with her own sex. She was bored to death when she was with women, and she showed it. Though I must say, I admired her style. She had a great gift for clothes, and she wore them well. She spent a great deal on clothes. She must have done. But then she had money of her own, and Captain Marshall is quite well off.
13: Did you ever hear that she was being blackmailed?
8: Blackmailed? Arlena? The idea seems to surprise you. But what would anyone blackmail Arlena about?
13: There are certain things, I suppose, that Mrs Marshall might not want to come to her husband's ears. Well, I suppose so, but Arlena was rather notorious in
8: the way she carried on. She never made any pretense of respectability.
13: You think, then, that her husband was aware of her various affairs? You know, I really don't know what
8: to think. I've always assumed that Kenneth accepted his wife for what she was, that he had no illusions about her. But it may not be so. Men can be very stupid sometimes.
13: Uh, What exactly do you mean by that?
8: Kenneth Marshall is really rather unworldly, you know. At heart, he's a bit of an idealist with rather old-fashioned notions about women. He may have believed in Arlena quite blindly. He may
13: have thought she was just admired. And you know no one who was likely to have had a grudge against Mrs Marshall?
8: No, I can't think of anyone. But then I probably wouldn't know. I thought you might have had some contact
13: with her through your dressmaking business.
8: <laughs> I only wish I had. Uh, but Alena never came to me for dresses. A pity. I should have made a small fortune. No, Colonel, if you want to find out the dirt about Alena, you need to talk to someone in her own intimate circle.
2: Thank you, Miss Darnley.
8: Well, hasn't Monsieur Poirot any questions to ask?
2: I can think of nothing, mademoiselle. Thank you.
8: Thank you, Monsieur Poirot.
13: Of course, we've only got her word
2: for it that she spent all the time reading on Sunny Ledge. You are right. The fact that Mr. Redfern and Miss Brewster noticed her there does not account for the whole time. But would she have been capable of strangling Arlena? She certainly
13: had a motive of sorts. She was a childhood friend of Marshall. Mm -hmm. She may
2: have resented him marrying a woman she disapproved of. And she may have resented even more the way in which Arlena Marshall treated her husband taking a succession of young lovers and never even trying to conceal the fact from him. Oh, yes, it is easy enough to see that Rosamond Darnley may have hated her. But did she really hate her so much as to wish to kill her?
13: I don't see why not. She may have thought the risk was well worth taking. With Arlena out of the way, there was nothing to stand in the way of her and Marshall.
2: And she is an exceedingly attractive woman. Come
11: in. I thought you ought to know that some of the guests are getting a bit restive. We've been keeping them out of their rooms on the upstairs corridor. If you want to have a look around, the sooner the better.
13: Oh, thank you for reminding me, Inspector. We'll come right away. We'd better start with the Marshal's rooms.
2: Ah, Lena Marshall certainly had a most extensive wardrobe. Mm. Dresses, lingerie, beach hats. Enough to last her for an entire year. (laughs) Le femmes.
13: There's a packet of letters here. Three from young Redfern. He'll learn not to write letters to women after this. Women always keep letters and swear blind they've burnt them. Here's one from uh, some other chap.
2: Hmm? Dearest Arlena, God, I feel blue. To be going out to China and perhaps not seeing you again for years... I didn't know that any man could go on feeling crazy for a woman the way I feel for you. Thanks for the check. They won't prosecute now. It was a close shave, though, and all because I wanted to make money for you, to buy you the most fabulous emerald in the world. Don't forget me. I know you won't. You are mine always. J.N. Another poor mutt. Hmm. It might be worthwhile to find
11: out if this J.N., whoever he was, really did go to China. Otherwise, he might be just the person we're looking for. Thinks he's found the love of his life and suddenly discovers he's been played for
2: a sucker. It's certainly worth following up. Yes. That letter is important. I find it very important. Shall we take a look at Marshall's room?
11: I'd like to have a look through his letters. See if there's anything to bear out his story about having to type those financial statements in a hurry.
2: And while you are doing that, I shall inspect Mademoiselle Linda's room.
11: Good idea. There's always a chance that Marshall
13: may have put something in his daughter's room that he didn't want us to find.
2: All very neat and tidy for the room of a teenager. Everything in its proper place. Huh. It looks as if she has been burning something in the fireplace. A lump of something that looks like... ...candle grease. And some fragments of green paper. With a figure five. Hmm. Part of a pull-off calendar, perhaps. Uh, And a pin. ...and some burnt hair. What is one to make of all this? Oh, poor amour de Dieu, is it possible? And the books on her shelf. Hmm. The Marriage of William Ash? Hmm. Very dull reading for a 16-year-old. But perhaps the best the lending library had to offer... Murder in the cathedral, the burning court, hey, aha, something wedged behind them. A history of witchcraft and sorcery. So, I was right. But as to the other, is that also possible? No, it is not possible. Unless... Unless... Arlena Marshall had come down to the Jolly Roger Hotel on Smuggler's Island to pursue her love affair with Patrick Redfern under the noses, as I think you say, of his wife and her husband. And she had been brutally strangled in a deserted cove. Yet those who had most cause to wish her dead, the wife, Christine Redfern, and the husband, Captain Marshall, had apparently sound alibis. Who could it have been that Alena had gone out to meet at that lonely beach? Certainly not her lover, who was desperately searching for her. Could it have been the solitary yachtsman, Horace Blatt, who was most certainly up to something, or the fanatic woman-hating clergyman, Stephen Lane? Colonel Weston and I had searched the rooms in the hotel for any clues, but we were none the wiser.
13: This door off the balcony next to Miss Darnley's room, any idea where it goes to,
2: Poirot? There is only one way to find out, mon ami. An outside staircase down to the beach. Hmm. I fancy this is the way people go down to bathe before breakfast. And, vous voyez, over by those rocks, there is a path which goes up to join the main route from the causeway. So that one could go down these stairs, take the path and go right across
13: the island without having to go through the front of the hotel at all. If he did it, that's the way he went. Huh? Which he, mon ami... Captain Marshall, despite everything, I still think he's our man.
11: Excuse me, Colonel Weston, but I've got Gladys Elcombe, the chambermaid of this floor, waiting to be questioned. I think she might prove quite useful.
5: Well, none of us actually liked her, you might say. She wasn't really a lady. More like an actress.
2: She was an actress.
5: Yes, sir. That's what I'm saying. She went on exactly as she felt like it. Uh,
13: Can you tell us how things were between her and her husband?
5: You don't think it was him that did it, sir?
13: Do
2: you?
5: Oh, I wouldn't like to think so. He's such a real gentleman, Captain Marshall. He couldn't do a thing like that. But
2: you are not sure, Gladys. I hear it in your voice.
5: It's just that everyone's been talking about her and Mr Redfern, and if Captain Marshall had found out, well, he's a very quiet gentleman. He's a bit stiff, if you know what I mean.
13: But you've nothing definite to go on. Nothing you might have heard either of them say to each other.
5: No, sir. Nothing definite like that.
2: I think that will do for the present. Uh, Well? When you cleaned Miss Marshall's room this morning, did you do the fireplace?
5: There wasn't any fire to do, sir. Not at this time of year.
2: And there was nothing in the fireplace itself?
5: No. If there had been, I'd have noticed.
2: What time did you do her room?
5: At quarter past nine, sir, when she'd gone down to breakfast.
2: And did she come up to her room again?
5: Yes, at about a quarter to ten.
2: Did she stay in her room?
5: I think so, sir. She came out in rather an hurry, just before half past ten.
2: And you didn't go into her room again? No, sir. Now, there is one more thing I want to know. What people went swimming before breakfast this
5: morning? Well, sir, Captain Marshall and Miss Brewster were the early ones this morning, I think. They always go down for an early morning dip.
2: Did you see them?
5: No, sir, but their wet bathing things were hanging over the balcony rail, as usual.
2: Miss Linda Marshall did not bathe this morning, hmm?
5: No, all our bathing dresses were quite dry, though she usually goes for a dip most mornings.
2: Now, I wonder if you have noticed whether a bottle is missing from any of the rooms you look after in this wing.
5: A bottle, sir? What kind of bottle? Uh,
2: Unfortunately, I do not know. But would you be likely to notice if one had gone?
5: I shouldn't, from Mrs. Marshall's room, and that's a fact. She's got ever so many, and I couldn't be too sure about Miss Danny either.
2: But the others?
5: Well, I might notice if I were to look special.
2: Perhaps you would be so good as to do so.
5: Certainly, sir. Thank yes, you.
2: Thank you. So about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. My orderly mind is vexed by trifles, I mon mean. ami. Miss Brewster said that when she was bathing before breakfast, a bottle was thrown from above and nearly hit her. I want to know who threw that bottle and why. But, my dear chap, anyone could have chucked a bottle away. No, 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 not at all. If you have an empty bottle on your dressing table or in your bathroom, what do you do with it? I will tell you. You put it in a waste paper basket. You do not go to the trouble of going out out onto your balcony and hurling it into the sea. You would only do that if you did not want anyone to notice that particular bottle. But surely there's a perfectly simple... Come in.
11: Uh, Miss Darnley's waiting outside, sir. She says there's something she forgot to tell you.
13: Well, we'd better hear it, then.
11: Oh, and it looks as if Marshall's in the clear about having to write those letters urgently this morning. Now, I found this among his papers. My dear Marshall... Sorry to worry you on your
13: holiday, but an entirely unforeseen situation has arisen over the Burley and tendering contracts. Oh, yes. This seems to confirm his story. Uh, you would better ask Miss Darnley to step in, Inspector. Do go in, Miss Darnley.
8: I'm frightfully sorry. It probably isn't worth bothering you about. Oh, well, won't you sit down? Well, it isn't worth sitting down for. It's simply this. I told you that I spent the whole morning on Sunny Ledge, but that isn't strictly accurate. At around a quarter past eleven, I went back to the hotel to get my sunglasses. My eyes were getting tired reading.
2: You went straight back to your room and out again? Yes.
8: Well, I did look in on Captain Marshall. I had his typewriter going, and I thought it was stupid of him to stay indoors on such a lovely day. Uh, what did he say? When I opened the door, he was typing so vigorously and frowning and looking so concentrated that I, I just went away quietly. I don't think he even saw me come in.
13: And what was the time then, Miss Darnley?
8: About twenty past eleven. I noticed the clock by the reception desk as I was going out.
13: Thank you, Miss Darnley, for
11: taking
8: such trouble. (laughs) Well, I just thought you ought to know. Mm -hmm. Bye.
11: Well, that washes Marshall right out.
2: I agree. Hmm. What are you looking so thoughtful about, Poirot? I was wondering why Miss Darnley suddenly volunteered this extra evidence. Well, there's nothing suspicious about that, surely. No, no, no. It's uh, just that she goes out of her way to provide the gallant captain with an alibi. Yes?
5: Excuse me, but I've had a good look, sir, and as far as I can tell, I can't see that there's a bottle missing from any of them.
2: Ah, no matter. We will leave it.
5: Is there anything else, sir?
2: Yes. Tell me, have you noticed anything unexplained, out of the ordinary? You know, something that has made you say to yourself... That's funny.
5: Well, yes, there was one thing, just a bath being run. And I did say to Elsie that it was funny, somebody having a bath at 12 o'clock before lunch.
2: Mm. Do you know who it was who was having a bath, Mademoiselle? I think we'd better be getting on, don't you, Poirot? Oh, yes, yes, of course, Colonel. Thank you, Mademoiselle.
5: Thank you, sir.
2: (laughs) It's uh, time to have a look at that cave, don't you think? Ah, you should take Mr. Redfern with you, since he knows the exact location.
13: Well, aren't you coming?
2: No, alas, I am like Miss Brewster and Mrs. Redfern. I, I do not care for perpendicular ladders. Well, then you can take a boat. Oh, no, 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 my stomach, it is not happy at sea. Nonsense man, it's calm as a mill pond today.
13: You can't let us down. We might miss something without you.
11: That is true. Oh, by the way, sir, the reverend gentleman has just got back, Colonel. What's that? Stephen Lane, sir. I asked him to wait in the lounge. Ah, good, Colgate. We should certainly go and have a word with him.
4: What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Sorry? Murder. One of the first sins known on earth. If you could just give us your movements today, sir. Willingly. I'm fond of walking. Today, I went to St. Petrock in the Coombe, that is about seven miles from here, a very pleasant walk along winding lanes. I visited the church. It has some fragments of early glass and a splendid painted screen with the figure of St. Petrock and his dragon.
13: Did you meet anyone on your walk, Mr. Lane? No.
4: A couple of boys on bicycles passed me once, Uh, but if you want proof of my statement,
2: I wrote down my name in the visitor's book in the church. Is there anything you can tell us about the dead woman that might give some indication of who could have killed her? Anything you heard or saw? I heard nothing. But I can tell you this.
4: I knew instinctively as soon as I saw that Elena Marshall was a focus of evil. Woman can be a man's help and inspiration in life. She can also be man's downfall. She can drag a man down to the level of the beast. Alena Marshall was such a woman, made in the image of Jezebel and Aholibah. Now she has been struck down in the midst of her
2: wickedness. Mm. But you have no idea who might have struck her down. She was, in fact, strangled by a pair of human hands. I know nothing. Nothing. We must get to the cove. Is that where it happened? That is where it happened, Mr. Lane. Can I... can I come with you? But certainly, you can accompany us and Mr Redfern there in the boat. Let us be on our way.
11: The lads have been over the beach pretty thoroughly, sir. But I can't say they've come up with much. One empty cigarette packet, a chicken bone, three pieces of string and a pair of scissors. The scissors have obviously been left out quite recently. They're still bright and shining. They weren't out in yesterday's rain.
13: Where were they found?
11: Uh, Close by the bottom of the ladder. And there was this fragment of a pipe.
2: Oh, quality briar. Expensive. You smoke a pipe, do you not, Mr Lane? Oh, yes.
4: It's my old friend and companion. I've got it here. Never leaves my pocket.
13: Uh, Tell me, where was the body found? Just about where you're standing, sir. Oh. Uh, Now then, Mr Redfern, where's the entrance to this cave? I can't see any sign of it. It's over here. Just by this pile of rocks, the entrance is round here.
2: Mm. It looks very narrow. It would be difficult for a man to squeeze through that.
7: You'll find its appearance is deceptive. You will just about manage it, Monsieur
2: Poirot. Ah?
1: huh. Mm. Um...
13: <laughs> right. Quite a handy little place. You'd never suspect it was here from the outside. What is it, Poirot? trace of
2: perfume, perhaps? Well, I can't smell anything. Doesn't seem to be anything of interest. There is a ledge up there. Might be worth investigating, but it is beyond my reach. Uh, You are a tall man, Mr Lane. Could I ask you to find out if there is anything there? Of course. Uh, Yes. There's a box of some sort. Uh, careful. Don't handle it more than you can help.
11: There may be fingerprints. A sandwich tin. Ah, left behind from somebody's picnic, I suppose. Oh, Very neat. Containers for salt and pepper and mustard.
2: Oh, that's funny. They're all full of salt. Are you quite certain that it is salt, Inspector? Oh, this isn't salt. Not by a long way. Could be a drug of some sort. Better
13: send it off straight away. Get your men to go over this place with a fine tooth comb. We may as well return to the hotel.
2: By all means. And then uh, let us go back while the sea is still calm. Could she have been a drug addict, Poirot? A Leonard Marshall? I should doubt that. She had steady nerves, radiant health. No, I do not think she took drugs. In that case, she may have run into the business accidentally and was put out of the
13: way by the people running the show. For all we know... They they said I'd find you in here. I've just heard the news. This is Mr Horace Blatt, Colonel. Uh, Do sit down, Mr Blatt.
12: Uh, No, I won't, if you don't mind. Uh, I've been out in the boat since early this morning, missed the whole blinking show. She was strangled, was she? She was, Mr Blatt. Nasty. Very nasty. Mind you, she asked for it. Hot stuff. Très
13: moutarde, eh, Monsieur Poirot? Any idea who did it? Well, you know, we're supposed to be asking you the questions. Oh, far away, then? You said you went sailing this morning. What time would that have been? Uh, left here at a quarter to ten. Was anyone with you? Not
12: a soul. All on my little own, some Colonel. Where did you go? Along the coast in the direction of Plymouth. Well, I didn't get very far. Not much in the way of wind. In the end, I gave it up as a bad job and headed for home. Well, that's about it. Thank you, Mister Platt. One thing I can tell you, it wasn't me. The fair Arlena had no use for me. She had her own blue-eyed boy. And if you ask me, Marshall was getting wise to it. Oh, what makes you say that? I saw him give Redfern a dirty look once or twice. Bit of a dark horse, Marshall. Looks as if he's half asleep most of the time, but I did hear that he nearly killed a bloke who'd welched on him over a business deal. I'll give you that for what it's worth. We believe that
2: Mrs. Marshall went to Pixie Cove this morning to meet someone. Have you any idea who that someone might be? Redfern. No question. No, it was not, Mr. Redfern. Well, then I haven't the foggiest. Well, it couldn't have been Gardner. His wife
12: never lets him out of her sight. Mind you, I have seen the Reverend looking at her a good bit. He may have thought she was the daughter of Satan, but I bet he wouldn't have minded getting his fingers burned. (laughs) Anyway, if that's it as far as I'm concerned, I'm off to the bar. Thank you, Mr.
13: Blout. What do you make of him, Waro?
2: You've seen more of him than I have. He likes to play the role of the rough diamond. But today there is something I have not seen before. Oh, and what's that? I think he is nervous.
11: It didn't take them long to identify that stuff we found in the sandwich box.
2: Diamorphine hydrochloride. Huh. Heroin. Uh. No, that's more like it.
13: I'll wager that this is at the bottom of the whole business. A bit closer to the mark than worrying about people running bars and throwing bottles into the sea. Uh, Excuse me, Colonel Weston, may I have a word? What can I do for you? Can you tell me what arrangements
10: I can make about the funeral? I think the inquest will be the day after tomorrow. Thank you. I'd like to return your letters, Captain. Thank you, Inspector. I hope this means that my
11: character is clear. Uh, Looks very much like it. The chambermaid heard you typing, and Miss Darnley told us that she came to your room at twenty past eleven, but you looked so busy she didn't want to disturb you. She said you didn't even notice her
10: as a matter of fact she is wrong i did see her though she may not have been aware of the fact i caught sight of her in the mirror and now i better get these letters to the post where will the
13: inquest be held in the old courthouse in nethercombe
8: it didn't go so badly did it
13: difficult
10: to say they were so cautious
8: any idea what the police think
10: they say they're perfectly happy with my alibi but they still seem pretty suspicious.
8: There are times when I can't believe that any of this really happened.
10: Don't you worry. We'll pull through, all right. But we better be getting back. Linda will be getting anxious.
9: What happened, Daddy? What did they say?
10: Inquest adjourned for a fortnight.
9: That means they haven't decided?
10: More evidence is needed.
9: But what do they think?
10: Well, whatever the police think, they're not giving it away at present. We shall all just have to wait. Look, Linda, I've got a couple of urgent phone calls to make. I'll be back as quickly as I can.
8: Try not to let it worry you so much. I know it's all been very terrible, but it's no good brooding over it. I mean, it isn't as if you were fond of Arlena.
9: No, I wasn't fond of her. Then why are you getting so obsessed by it all? You don't understand. I think I do, my dear. No, you don't. You don't understand in the least. And Christine, Miss Redfern, doesn't either. You just think it's morbid, that I'm dwelling on it all when I needn't. But it isn't like that at all. If you knew what I know...
8: What is it that you know, Linda? Nothing. Be careful, Linda. Be very careful. Alena is dead. That's all there is to it. Forget it all, and for goodness sake, hold your tongue. If father... Don't talk about it.
9: I've got to say one thing. My mother... What about her? She was tried for murder, wasn't she? Yes. And then father married her. That looks, doesn't it, as though father didn't think murder very wrong. Don't say things like that. The police haven't
8: got anything against your father. He's got an alibi. They know he couldn't have done it. Do you understand that? You'll be able to leave here soon. You'll forget everything. You'll see you
2: will.
9: I shall never forget. Never.
2: Madame Redfern, there is something I wish to know. And what is that? It was a chance phrase of yours the other day that caught my attention. Oh, really? You were describing how you went into Linda Marshall's room and found her absent, and how she returned, and you asked her where she had been.
6: And I said she had been bathing.
2: Uh, no, but you did not say that. Your words were, she said she had been bathing. It's the same thing? No, no, madame. It is not quite the same thing. It suggests that it was not evident to you that she had been bathing. Now, what was there about her appearance or her manner that led you to be surprised when she told you that?
6: That's very clever of you. I remember now. I was a little surprised because she was carrying a parcel in her hand.
2: A parcel? Hmm. Do you happen to know what was in it?
6: As a matter of fact, I do. The string broke and they were scattered all over the floor.
2: What were scattered?
6: Candles. I helped her pick them up.
2: Candles. And how did she react when this happened?
6: She was upset, embarrassed. But I don't understand what this is about.
2: Have you seen a book like this before?
6: Uh, I'm not sure. It it may have been the one Linda was looking at in the lending library in Leathercombe the other day. She put it back on the shelf when she noticed me. I don't know what it was exactly.
2: I'll see for yourself.
6: A history of witchcraft, sorcery, and the compounding of untraceable poisons. I don't understand. What does it mean?
2: I fear it may mean a great deal. One more question. On the morning of the murder, did you take a bath before you went out to play tennis?
6: Why, now should I do that? I wouldn't have had time, anyway. Why do you ask?
2: Oh, it is of no importance.
6: So,
8: it's my turn, is it?
2: I do not understand, mademoiselle.
8: While the chief constable was conducting his little inquisition, you sat by and said nothing. Now I think you are conducting your own inquiry. First Christine Redfern, and now me.
2: Mm -hmm. You are very intelligent, mademoiselle. I've thought so ever since I arrived here. It would be a pleasure to discuss this business with you.
8: You want to know what I think about the whole thing?
2: It would be very interesting.
8: I think it's really very simple. The clue is in Arlena's past. The past? Oh, not necessarily the very remote past. Arlena was fatally attractive to men. And I suspect that she got tired of them rather easily.
2: And then discarded them.
8: Exactly. And amongst her followers was a man who resented that. Probably some tepid little man. Vain and sensitive. I think he followed her down here, waited his opportunity, and killed her. The day of the murder, it was glorious sunshine. But on the day before, there was rain and thick mist. Anyone could come to the island then without being seen. He only had to go down to the beach and spend the night in the cave. That mist, Monsieur Poirot, is important.
2: Mm Hmm. There is a good deal of truth in what you have said.
8: Anyway, that's my theory, for what it's worth.
2: Now, tell me yours. Ah, oh, mademoiselle, I am a very simple person. I always incline to the belief that the crime is invariably committed by the most likely person. From the very beginning, it seemed to me that one person was most clearly indicated. Go on. But you see, there is what you call a fly in the ointment It seems impossible for that person to have committed the crime. Well? So what do we do about it? That is the problem. May I ask you a question? Of course. When you came in to change for tennis on the morning of the murder, did you take a bath? A bath? What do you mean? You know, a bath. shoo on all the taps, it fills up with water, you get into it. No,
8: Monsieur Poirot, I did not take a bath.
2: Mm. So, nobody took a bath. That is extremely interesting.
8: I suppose this is the Sherlock Holmes touch.
2: No. (laughs) Will you permit me to be impertinent, madame?
8: I'm sure you couldn't be impertinent, Monsieur Poirot.
2: That is very kind of you. Then, may I venture to say... That the scent you use is delicious. It has a nuance, a delicate, elusive charm. Gabrielle number eight, I think. <laughs>
8: How clever you are.
2: Yes, I always use it. So did the late Mrs. Marshall. It is chic, eh? And very expensive.
8: I happen to like it.
2: You sat where we are now, mademoiselle, on the morning of the crime. You were seen here, or at least your sunshade was seen, by Miss Brewster and Mr. Redfern as they passed by in their boat. During the morning, are you sure you did not go down to Pixie Cove and enter the cave there?
8: Are you asking me if I killed Arlena Marshall?
2: On the day of the murder, someone had been in that cave who used Gabrielle Number 8.
8: You just said yourself, Monsieur Poirot, that Arlena Marshall used the same scent. She was on the beach there that day.
2: Presumably she went into the cave. Ah, but why should she go into the cave? It is dark and narrow there and extremely uncomfortable.
8: Don't ask me for reasons. Since she was actually in Pixie Cove, she was the most likely person. I told you I never left this place the whole morning.
2: Except for the time you went back to the hotel and looked into Captain Marshall's room.
8: Ah, yes, I'd forgotten that.
2: And you were wrong, you know. Captain Marshall did see you. Uh,
8: Kenneth saw me. Did he say so? He
2: saw you in the mirror that hangs over the table.
8: Why are you looking at my hands? Surely you can't imagine.
2: Imagine what, mademoiselle? Nothing. By the way, mademoiselle, do you happen to know where... Miss Linda is at the moment.
8: She said she was going down to
2: Gar Cove.
8: But you don't need to ask her any more questions.
9: Surely. What is it? Why have you come to look for me? What do you want?
2: The other day you told the chief constable that you were fond of your stepmother and that she was very kind to you. Well? That was not true, was it, mademoiselle?
9: Yes, it was.
2: No, no. She may not have been actually unkind to you, But you are not fond of her. I think that you disliked her very much. That was plain to see.
9: Perhaps I didn't like her very much. But one can't say that when a person is dead. It wouldn't be decent.
2: Mm. Did they teach you that at school?
9: More or less.
2: When a person has been murdered, it is more important to be truthful than decent.
9: I suppose you would say a thing like that.
2: I would say it. And I do say it. It is my business, you see, to find out who killed your stepmother.
9: I want to forget it all. It's so horrible.
2: But you cannot forget it, can you?
9: I suppose some beastly madman killed her. No,
2: no, no, no. I do not think it was like that at all.
9: You sound as if you knew.
2: Perhaps I do know. I know that you are troubled. Very troubled. Will you trust me to do all that I can to help you?
9: You've got it all wrong. There's nothing you can do for me. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: I am talking about candles.
9: I won't listen to you. Leave me alone. I won't listen.
2: But you must listen, mademoiselle. And you know why, do you not? It seems that I am fated never to take the holiday without a body turning up to interrupt it. I was staying at the jolly Roger Hotel on an island off the Devon coast when the corpse of Arlena Marshall was found in a deserted bay. She had been strangled. At least three of the guests at the hotel had good reasons to wish her out of the way and, to further muddy the waters... There were indications of drug smuggling, witchcraft, and blackmail.
11: Blackmail, Colonel. I'm sure that's what this is all about. I've been going into the details of Mrs. Marshall's finances with her lawyers. You remember that she was left £50,000 by Sir Roger Erskine?
13: The old boy who was supposed to have been totally infatuated with her.
11: That's the one. Well... There's only 15,000 left. Uh,
13: Do we have any idea what's become of it, Colgate?
11: Well, that's just the point, sir. She seems to have handed it over, either in cash or in negotiable securities, so that it couldn't be traced. It certainly sounds like blackmail. And from what Mrs Redfern told us about
13: the conversation she overheard, we have to assume that the blackmailer is someone staying in the hotel.
11: Uh, Uh, Have you got any more information on the Reverend Lane or Horace Blatt? Stephen Lane resigned his living in Surrey just over a year ago to what was described as ill health, he was treated for mental illness. It seems he had some kind of obsession about the horror of Babylon and regarded some of his female parishioners as instruments of Satan. It oh, doesn't help us much with the blackmail angle, but he could have convinced
13: himself that it was his appointed duty to get rid of Arlena Marshall. Far-fetched, I admit,
11: but these things do happen. Did you check on his alibi? He certainly signed his name in the visitor's book in the church at St. Petrarch. But since the previous entry was six weeks earlier, he could have gone over there at any time. It's not conclusive proof that he was there on the day of the killing. And Horace Blatt? Oh, there's certainly something pretty fishy going on there. He's been making far more money than his hardware business could ever hope to bring in. So he could be our blackmailer? Or it could be dope. There seems to have been a good bit of heroin coming onto the market lately. If
13: the Marshall woman's death is the result of getting mixed up innocently or otherwise with heroin smuggling... Then we'd better hand over the whole thing to Scotland Yard. Do you agree? It seems a very likely
11: explanation. Have you told Poirot all this? Oh yes, I told him. His only reaction was to ask me for information on any strangling cases over the last three years. Uh, did he now?
13: Whenever there's an obvious explanation, trust Poirot to go barking up the wrong tree.
2: The scent of Gabriel Number 8. A broken pipe stem a bottle thrown from a window, a piece of green calendar, a girl's wristwatch, someone taking a bath at an unusual time of day. Each of these must be fitted into its correct place. There can be no loose ends. (sighs) A task for the little grey cells.
11: Lost in thought, Mr. Poirot?
2: Not at all, Inspector Colgate. You might say that I am playing a game of patience with imaginary cards.
11: I've been looking a little further into one of those strangling cases you asked about. Mm. The Alice Corrigan murder. And what have you found, my friend? She was killed about 12 miles from Weatheridge, where the vicar was a certain Stephen Lane. Ah, oh, that is very interesting. The husband was the obvious suspect since the woman's life had been insured in his favour, but he was washed right out of it. The body was discovered by a passing hiker, a games mistress from a school up north somewhere, at 4.15. Now, Mr. Corrigan was coming back on a train from London and had arranged to meet his wife at a local cafe by the station at around 4.30. He waited there for half an hour and then went off to look for her.
2: And when did the police examine the body?
11: At 5.45 or thereabouts. The hiker had to go a fair way to the nearest phone box to report it. But what is really interesting is that the circumstances of the killing are very similar to those of another strangling case, Nellie Parsons, a rather flighty
2: servant girl. And she, too, was murdered not a dozen miles away from Stephen Lane's vicarage. It is difficult to know which pieces are part of the fur rug and which are the cat's tail. What was that, sir? Huh? Oh, I apologize. I was uh, following a train of thought of my own. Your mind works in a funny way,
11: doesn't it, sir? But I dare say it all comes right in the end. Tell me,
2: why are you so interested in these other strangulation cases? And It occurred to me that the murder in Pixie Cove might not be the first case of its kind. That's certainly a new way of looking at it. I said to myself, let us examine past crimes of a similar kind, and if there is a murder which closely resembles this one, then we may have a very valuable clue. You mean using the same method of killing? Oh, I mean more than that. The death of Alice Corrigan. Do you notice one striking similarity to the murder of Alena Marshall?
11: No, sir. I can't say that I do. Unless it is that in each case the husband has got a cast-eye and Uh, uh. So, you notice that? It is
13: curious, is it not? I thought you ought to know that I've decided on a course of action, Paro. But I'd like your opinion on it before I set things in motion. Go ahead, mon colonel, tell me what it is. I think I should call in Scotland Yard and hand the case over to them. Although there may be vague grounds for suspicion against one or two people, I am convinced that the whole thing hinges on heroin smuggling. And that Pixie Cave was a rendezvous for the stuff. I agree. Oh, good man. And I'm pretty certain who our smirkler is. Horace Blatt. That too is indicated. Oh, I see that our minds have been working along the same lines. Mm -hmm. I think that our Lena was unfortunate enough to arrive at Pixie Cove just at the moment when Blatt was taking the stuff to the cave. She asked him what he was up to. He panicked and strangled her and shoved off in the boat as fast as he could go.
2: So you definitely think that Blatt is the murderer?
13: It seems the most probable solution. And I think the best course is to hand the case over to Scotland Yard. They have a much better chance than we have of tracing Blatt's connection with the heroin gang. Which is possible. You agree that it's the wise thing to do?
2: It may be. Oh, damn it all, man. What's your objection? Have you got something up your sleeve? If I have, I am not sure that I can prove it. So what do you think ought to be done about it? I know what I should like to do. Uh, What's that? I should like to go on a picnic
0: picnic, Monsieur Poirot. What on earth put that idea into your head?
2: Oh, surely it is not such an outrageous idea, madame. We need something of the everyday to restore us all to normal. And I am fascinated to see something of Dartmoor. You want to see the prison? Oh, no, 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 mademoiselle Tandy. I wish to see the pixies. Uh, do you remember, Mr. Redfern, you told me that there were places on Dartmoor where the Pixies were supposed to live. Oh, yes, there's Pixies' Cave on sheep's Tor, and there's Pixies' Holt, and there's Pixies' Bridge. Then what better reason could there be for a picnic? You'll have to count
10: me out, I'm afraid, Poirot. I got a business appointment in Plymouth.
2: Oh, it will be our loss, Captain Marshall. I trust that the others will be able to come. I shall make arrangements for our transport.
0: It looks as though it's going to be a lovely
2: day. It's
7: not really pixie weather, Mrs. Gardner. I don't think they care much for sunshine.
0: I'm afraid
8: Linda's not coming, Monsieur Poirot. She says she's got a frightful headache.
2: But it would do her good to come out with us. It might help to cheer her up a little. I've tried to tell her that, but it's no use.
8: She's absolutely determined. I've given her some aspirin and she's gone to bed. I'll stay with Linda.
6: I don't mind a bit.
7: Oh, no, Christine. You must come with us, darling. I'm sure Linda will be all right on
10: her own. Well, Mrs Gardner, did you have a good day? Were the pixies up to form?
0: Oh, it was simply wonderful, Captain. The moors were just too lovely for anything.
10: And I've had a very boring day going through the books with my accountant. I've only just this moment come back.
0: Oh, Miss Darnley's gone up to see how your daughter's headache is. Oh, it was such a pity you couldn't be with us. We had a really marvellous picnic, and Monsieur Poirot was in such high spirits. Poor Miss Brewster had rather a funny turn on the way back, though.
10: I trust it wasn't serious.
0: Oh, it was just her vertigo, I think. We were crossing a narrow bridge over a little river, and she suddenly stopped and couldn't go on. She just stood there, swaying backwards and forwards until Mr. Redfern and Monsieur Poirot went to her rescue. Oh, but I'd better go up and see how my husband is making out. He had one of those Cornish pasty things, and he'll probably have to be in the bathroom for hours. Kenneth, something's happened to Linda. You'd better come. I just can't wake her.
2: What just happened?
10: What is the matter? I've no idea. The doctor's on his way. We
8: think she may have taken something. It's as if you're in a coma. And there's a letter by the side of her bed. It's addressed to you, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs>
2: I think this is the best way out. Ask father to forgive me. I killed Arlena. I thought I should be glad, but I'm not. I am very sorry for everything. Oh, the poor misguided child.
13: There is a chance she may pull through, but the... Doctor doesn't offer a great deal of hope. Oh, the poor kid. How the
10: hell did she get hold of the stuff?
13: There
6: was a bottle of sleeping tablets in my room. I think she must have taken them. How did she know about them? I gave her one the night after Elena's body was found. She told me she couldn't sleep. I should have kept them locked up. It
10: might have been wiser, darling. You mustn't blame yourself, Mrs. Redfern. She knew what she was doing. But why? What did she mean by that letter? she
6: can't have killed Arlena. It just isn't possible.
10: I fear it
2: is all too possible, mademoiselle.
6: But I was with her at Gull Cove until a quarter to twelve. You know that.
2: But how do you know? By the evidence of Linda's wristwatch. You do not know of your own knowledge that it was a quarter to twelve when you left her. You only know that she told you so. But the whole thing's quite preposterous. Captain Marshall, in your daughter's room after the murder, I found in the hearth a large blob of melted wax, some burnt hair... Fragments of cardboard and paper and an ordinary household pin. What's that supposed to add up to? Tucked away in her bookshelf, I found a book from the local library on witchcraft and black magic. It fell open at a certain page, describing how to cause death by moulding a wax figure supposed to represent the victim and slowly roasting it until it melted away or by piercing it with a pin in the area of the heart.
6: So that's what she was doing with those candles?
8: She
2: twisted a scrap of onions hair around the figure pierced it with a pin, and melted it in the grate. But
8: that doesn't mean she killed her. She
2: could quite easily have done so. If she had changed the hands of her watch, she would have had all the time in the world after Mrs. Redfern had departed to cut across the island, climb down the ladder to Pixie Cove, kill her stepmother, and return by the way she had come.
10: I don't believe Linda killed Arlena. It's absurd.
2: And her letter? I can't account for it. There are two possibilities. She could have written it knowing herself to be the murderess, or she wrote it to shield someone else whom she felt was suspected. Meaning me, I suppose. But she knew I was in the clear. Supposing it was not so much that she thought you were suspected as that she knew you were guilty. That's absurd. Is it? You could not have killed your wife if you were acting alone. But supposing someone helped you, what the devil do you mean by that? It is quite true that you could not have typed out those letters and at the same time have gone down to Pixie Cove, but you could have jotted down their contents in shorthand for Miss Darnley to type out. I can't do shorthand. Oh, this is ridiculous. Is it? Then why did you both lie to me? You told me Miss Darnley that you had seen Captain Marshall from the door sitting at the typewriter, but that is not possible. The writing desk is in the corner of the room. And you could not have seen Miss Stanley in the mirror, Captain. It is between the windows and reflects only the wall opposite.
1: How
8: very clever of you. Hmm.
2: But not as clever as the man who did kill Arlena Marshall. Think back for a moment. Who did everyone suppose she had gone off to Pixie Cove to meet that morning, huh? Patrick Patrick Redfern. And I knew from the look on her face that it was not a blackmailer she was expecting, but her lover. Well, it certainly wasn't me. (laughs) Someone must have used my name. I think not. It is my belief that she went to Pixie Cove to meet you, and that she did meet you there, and that you killed her there, as you had planned to do. You're mad. You know very well I went
7: round to the beach in the boat with Miss Brewster and found Arlena lying dead on the beach. Not
2: dead, Mr. Redfern. It was the living body of the woman who helped you. Her arms and legs stained with tan, her face hidden by a large green cardboard hat. Christine, your partner in this crime and in the crime she helped you commit when she supposedly discovered the body of Alice Corrigan at least 20 minutes before she died, killed by her husband, Edward Corrigan. You, Mr. Redfern. Damn you, Poirot! No, Patrick, don't lose your temper. The Surrey police have already identified you from a photograph taken here at this hotel. You lousy
1: little wolf! You Get him off! Get him off me!
13: They've taken them both off to the police station at Leathercombe. How are you feeling, Poirot?
2: Bruised, but triumphant,
13: mon colonel. (laughs) I imagine you'll survive. (laughs) And Linda Marsh is out of danger, according to the doctor.
8: Oh, thank God.
13: Uh, I'll go up to her straight away. Of course. Now, Poirot, I hope you're sufficiently recovered to tell us all what happened.
0: I'd be so thrilled if you'd allow me to listen, Monsieur Poirot. I've always wanted to know how you solve your crimes. I
2: would be honoured, madame. It all began that first morning when Arlena Marshall made her entrance onto the beach. We had been talking of the sun-tanned bodies, and I reflected on how little difference there was between one brown body and another.
0: You said they looked like boiled lobsters.
2: It was on that morning that I spoke with the Reverend Lane about evil. For him, evil was focused in the person of Elena Marshall, the kind of woman who wrecked lives and destroyed souls.
0: Well, so she did.
2: Ah, but I saw her very differently. It was not she who attracted men. It was men who fatally attracted her. In Patrick Redfern, with his good looks and his fine body and his easy assurance, I recognise the type of man who makes his living one way or another out of women, and for whom Arlena Marshall would be his predestined prey.
8: And, of course, Arlena was quite a wealthy woman. Old Erskine left her most of his
13: fortune.
2: Not that there's much of it left.
13: Fifteen thousand
2: out of fifty. I have no doubt that Patrick Redfern found it easy enough to induce her to handle large sums from time to time for investment.
0: But why did he need to kill Arlena? She was the goose that laid the golden eggs. Ah,
2: but that is just the point. He had deprived her of most of her private fortune, and this fact could not be kept from her husband for much longer. And once Captain Marshall started to ask questions... And
8: Christine was in on all this?
2: Oh, yes. None of this could have been done without her. From the time of their arrival here, she played the part of the poor little wife. Mm. Frail, helpless, intellectual rather than athletic. Oh,
0: quite an accomplished little actress.
2: Mm, Just think of the points she made, one after another. Her tendency to blister, her giddiness at heights.
8: She told Miss Brewster she got stuck on the outside staircase of Milan Cathedral. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Everyone spoke of her as a little woman, but she was actually as tall as Arlena Marshall. She told people that she had been a schoolteacher, as part of her bookish image. In actual fact, she had been a games mistress. Well, a strong young woman who could run like an athlete and climb like a cat. Hey,
0: just a minute, Monsieur Poirot. Yes, madame. Is that why you arranged our little trip to Dartmoor today, so that you could test her out on that nasty little bridge?
2: <laughs> How very perceptive of you, madame. People who have a bad head for heights are never comfortable crossing a narrow bridge over running water. Miss Brewster, a genuine sufferer, was rendered quite helpless, but Christine Redfern ran across it without even noticing it.
13: Oh, that's oh. <laughs> but I, I still want to know exactly how they managed the killing.
2: I will take you through it step by step. Redfern's first act was to slip out very early by the balcony door, which you notice, Colonel. Under his bathing wrap, he concealed a large beach hat, the kind worn by Arlena Marshall. He crossed the island, climbed down the ladder to Pixie Cove, and hid the hat among the rocks. Step number one.
8: So he had arranged a rendezvous with Arlena?
2: Yes. She agreed to go there early, and he told her he would join her at Pixie Cove as soon as he could slip away unobtrusively. If Alina heard anyone descending the ladder, she was to hide in the cave, the secret of which he had explained to her, and wait there till the coast was clear. Step two.
8: You said you could smell Gabrielle Number 8 in the cave. It was hers, of course.
2: Exactly, mademoiselle. In the meantime, Christine was in Linda's room at the time she calculated she would have gone out for her swim. She altered Linda's watch, putting it forward 20 minutes. While she was there, she noticed the book on witchcraft and black magic. And when Linda returned and dropped the package of candles, she realized exactly what was in the girl's mind. It opened up new possibilities. The original scheme had been to throw suspicion onto Kenneth Marshall, hence the fragment of a briar pipe at the bottom of the ladder.
8: Oh, what a ruthless little bitch.
2: Christine went back to her own room, took out a bottle of artificial suntan, applied it carefully, and threw the empty bottle out of the window.
0: Uh-huh. Nearly brain, Miss Brewster.
2: So that was why you were so obsessed about that boy. Uh Uh-huh. She then dressed herself in a white bathing suit and then put on a pair of floppy beach pajamas which effectively concealed her artificial suntan.
8: And I put it down to her hopeless dress sense.
2: It also effectively concealed her watch from Linda. Mm -hmm. At Gull Cove at 25 past 11, she asked Linda what time it was. Linda's watch showed a quarter to twelve. Christine began to pack up her sketching things, and Linda set off for a bathe. As soon as her back was turned, Christine put Linda's watch back to the correct time. She went up the cliff path, and ran across the island to the top of the ladder down to Pixie Cove. She stripped off the beach pajamas and climbed rapidly down the ladder.
8: And she must have been the last person Arlena expected to see, her lover's wife. No wonder she hid in the cave. Mm.
2: Christine took the green hat from its hiding place and lay face down on the sand with the hat concealing her face. The timing is perfect. A minute or two later, the boat comes round the point. Remember, it is Patrick who first sees the body and who bends down to examine it. Miss Brewster does not see the face concealed beneath the hat. She sees only a sun-tanned body. And because she suffers from vertigo, she has to go the long way back by boat. Christine cuts up the cardboard hat with her scissors and stuffs the pieces into her beach bag, climbs back up the ladder, slips into her floppy beach pajamas and runs back to the hotel. There is just time for her to have a quick bath and wash off the suntan lotion. Oh,
8: I couldn't understand why you were so keen to know who had a bath around 12 o'clock.
2: <laughs> she bound the pieces of the sun hat in the hearth in Linda's room and added a scrap torn from a calendar so that it would appear to be a calendar that had been burned.
8: And then she came and joined us for our game of tennis. No wonder she looked a bit flustered.
2: Meanwhile, Patrick had gone back to the cave. Elena could have seen nothing from there, and heard only the faint sound of voices. Patrick called her to tell her that all was clear. She came out, and he strangled her. And that was the end of poor, beautiful Arlena Marshall. Oh, Oh, what a thing to do. And am I to understand that they played the same game over the Corrigan murder? A very similar game. Again, it involved juggling with time. Christine appeared to be a totally independent witness, a passing lady hiker. She said that she had stumbled upon the body at a quarter to four. Patrick's alibi effectively covered him until half past four. He sat in a cafe, apparently waiting for Mrs. Corrigan, and made certain that he was noticed, after which he went to the rendezvous which he had actually arranged with her and murdered the poor woman. Ingenious. The police had no reason to question the alibi with which Christine had supplied him. And it was the similarity between the two cases. The corpse discovered before the actual time of the murder that convinced me I was right. All that was necessary was to goad Patrick Redfern into giving himself away. Ha <sighs> It was a little rash, perhaps, exposing myself to nature, but it succeeded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Monsieur Poirot, it's been wonderful hearing how you get your results. It's every bit as fascinating as a lecture in criminology. In fact, it is a lecture in criminology.
8: (laughs) (laughs) But I still don't understand how Linda came to believe that she had killed Arlena.
2: Remember that she is really little more than a child. She hated Arlena. She deliberately made that wax image, cast her spell over it, pierced it to the heart, melted it away, and on that very day, Arlena dies. Older and wiser people than Linda have believed in magic. And Linda was convinced that by using magic, she had killed her stepmother.
8: And I imagined something quite different. That she knew something which would...
2: I know what you imagined. And the way in which you reacted made Linda think that you knew what she had done. And Christine deliberately worked on her. Gave her the idea of the sleeping tablets.
8: So that everyone would believe she'd done it. Mm. But you're sure Linda will be all right?
2: Well, that, I suspect, may be up to you, mademoiselle.
9: But it's just the same as if I had killed her, isn't it? I meant to... It
2: is not at all the same thing. The wish to kill... And the act of killing are different things. If in your bedroom, instead of the wax figure, you had your stepmother bound and helpless and a dagger in your hand instead of a pin, you would not have pushed it into her heart.
9: I suppose that's true.
2: It was silly. It was childish. But by doing what you did, you took the hatred out of yourself and put it into that little wax figure. And when you burnt it in the fire, you destroyed not your stepmother, but the animosity you bore her.
9: Yes, I did feel a kind of relief at first. But then I got frightened. Ah,
2: well, let it be a lesson. Just make sure you don't hate your next stepmother.
9: My next stepmother? Hmm. Oh, you mean Rosamond? Do you really think there's a chance?
2: A very good chance, I should say.
9: I don't mind her. She's sensible. I think we'll get on very well.
13: I'll tell you one thing, Poirot. The next time I hear you going on and on about a bottle thrown out of a window or a bath being emptied, I shall treat what you say with the greatest respect.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And how is the case proceeding against Mr. Blatt and his Hello smuggling.
13: Well, I am advised that there is insufficient evidence to convict. But I shall get him in the end.
2: Yes. He's a little too, um, how do you say it, uh, cocksure. Mm-hmm. And I do not think I shall follow his advice. And what was that? He said that I would do better to spend the summer holidays at Dovi or Le Touquet. But I think that I would prefer somewhere far away from beaches and Parasols and pedalos. I never wish to lay eyes on a sun tanned body again. <music>